breaking news. What? This is huge. What? I'm sorry. Okay. Matrix Four. Lana Wachowski directing. Oh, yes. Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss are in it. What? I don't know what to tell you. What? Because they were denying it as of a week ago. A week Just ago. Just Lana, as as we sort of have already figured out, Lily it appears sort of Lana and Lily retired. have right, sort of split. Um, this, I gotta say, this is like, I'm this does not out. feel like surprising news. Shut I, I feel like we up. all knew this was coming. No, I knew it was coming, but I figured it was not gonna yeah. be Wachowski's. Right. And, and no Keanu. And I thought if Wachowski's weren't doing it, Keanu wouldn't do it. Yeah, well, right. he, he'd sure. been clear he wouldn't do it. Right. David Mitchell is a co-writer on it. The author of Cloud. Oh, Wars. sure. Weird. <laughs> I'm so excited. David is yanking out his hair in both directions. <gasps> I'm so happy. This is so, I'm genuinely so happy. I'm going uh, to take crying. a photo of this for posterity. Oh the moment, God. the moment he learned. Uh, but back to <sighs> Miyazaki. Am I right? Oh, Anyone? Oh boy. We don't deserve it. He's <laughs> oh, losing his mind. I'm so happy right now. Oh He's Everyone's going to hate can it. Can I take a photo? It's going to be great. You can take as many photos of me as you want. To go back to where it all started to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? I figured you'd do that. Of course. Yeah. I'm searching my brain. I mean, I'm glad you didn't do an analyst monologue. Yeah. Because they're long. Sure. Um... I feel like there's a. I still know Kung Fu. That's sort of the trailer. Turns out, line. my Matrix. The worse we treat you, the more we n manipulate you, the more energy you produce. It's nuts. I, I I've been setting productivity records every year since I took over. And the best part: zero resistance. People stay in their pods happier than podcasts and shit. I should have just said people stay in their podcasts. What happier the fuck am I doing? Shit. I was literally about to say it's right there for what the you. Fuck am I doing? Pods, podcasts. You know. It's it's look. It's, I'm still having my welcome coffee. to the Matrix. He's still having. His I'm still coffee. plugging in. This is a coffee obsessed movie right here. This is Simulate. It's, there's there's coffee in like every frame of this movie. Go on, go on. Hi. This Hello. is an episode Hello, people have been. I know. I'm feeling the burden a little bit. Me too. The weight of it. Can I say a little this? Scared. I've been stressed out no, about I'm, this episode. No, I'm actually not stressed out at all. I live in this shit. I fucking eat, sleep, and breathe this shit. It's fine. We usually take one week off per year. From uh, releasing we usually episodes. are dark on the final week of the year. Right. On In this terms podcast. Of yeah. Which is blank check. With Griffin and David. Right. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Oh, talk about a throwback. It's not a throwback. It's like we, this has became a thing like last year by, by slow you Zoom thing. could have fit a fucking reloaded <sighs> freeway chase mm. in that pause between I'm Griffin and I'm David. That's right. That would have been, that that been exciting. Listen, People it's a that. podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they go back to the matrix, baby. Back to the Matrix. Back I can't the do Matrix. Groff. I can't either.
I don't know what groff is. I don't know what like, you know, what the the germ of that. Like, it's I got a gentle voice. I think I wasn't too far off just because I think our speaking voices aren't. Yeah, you're not that different. But wildly like, dissimilar in pitch. Does he have a? He's he's doing a thing in this. I need to watch this movie ten more times. I guess. How many times have you seen it now? Twice. Same. Cool. Yeah, just okay. two times. Yeah. I this a is lady. this is special for me. I don't want to overlook. It's the same for me with any movie I love. I rarely, yeah. when I was a teenager, sure, I might like, you know, watch a movie two times a week or three, you know, like over and over again. But like these days, I'm like, you know, is it time for me to watch Spirited Away or Master and Co- like some movie I love? Sure. Like I'm like, yeah, give it a few more months. You well, know, it's always got to be a little special. Well, you know, David, here's a question for you: How many times have you seen The Matrix Reloaded? I've probably seen The Matrix Reloaded like ten times. Really? Only yeah. that? Yeah. I feel like when we started this podcast, you were like, I watch it a lot when I'm trying to go to sleep. You don't count those as full viewings? Yeah, maybe. It's sort of funny to me to remember those days. Look, this is a throwback episode. I have not listened back to those episodes. I'll say this in a little bit. I mean, I have in you know, my life. David, I thought I was going to re-listen before this and I forgot to do it. But I'll let's just say it up front. I know I've already alluded to it. This is our first blush review of Matrix Resurrections, a film with a lot to process. Absolutely. Even though it's been a week. A lot to process and a lot of online discourse and Correct. noise surrounding it. Which is maybe at a peak right now. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yes. No, definitely. Um, but we covered the Matrix very early on in this show. Uh, first year we were a stupid Star Wars podcast and then we had the blank check premise of year two and we did M. Night Shyamalan and then we did the Wachowskis those were the two those are our first year where we were like this is an interesting premise to do with these two clear examples and Mm -hmm. then who knows what the fuck this show is after this or if they cancel us you gonna cancel us Ben? No, I wasn't going to cancel you, but I mean, you had to do well enough to to have me convince <laughs> my boss, our boom, broom closet and producer. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, of course. You know, David, these days Zoomers complain about cancel culture. Real cancel culture is the UCB podcast network with no ad sales saying you don't perform well they enough. They never did, though. They were always well, nice no. to us, to their credit. David, you did. You were the top performing show. There was a point in time right before we did the switch. From Star Wars to Blank Check, where they were sure. like, we'll give you That's true. a there couple was, months. There was one meeting we had where it was kind of like, okay, like let's see how this reinvention goes. Right. Like, we'll give yeah. it four months yeah, and then let's true. check in. I just want to say, yes. those episodes, which posted April 28th and May 5th, 2016, wow. so five years ago, mm-hmm. are respectively... Almost six years ago, my friend. Hmm. Yeah. Closer, yeah. Five and a half. Far right, closer right, to exactly. six. Yeah. Yeah are respectively an hour 50 and an hour 26. This is a big point. Now, especially with Revolutions, as we probably referenced on this podcast before, we were on a time limit. Shannon O'Neill. Shannon O'Neill had booked the studio and we maybe didn't know or had She was the artistic director of the the UCB, but she was also doing her podcast. Correct, correct. And I think we recorded both episodes back to back. No, we did it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or something like that. We did like the whole trilogy. Okay. On consecutive days okay, that's or something okay. like that. Yeah. And so Revolutions, people get mad to this day that that episode apparently doesn't have a box office game because we were so rushed. Wow. Uh, I think we spend, you know, we did our usual sure. thing where we spend too much time talking about some stuff. And then at the end, we're like, uh, and then also this happened, you know, like, so. Yeah. I, that's one reason I have not listened back in a while. But those episodes are obviously fondly 
considered. I will re-listen before the, the commentary. I'm about to. You're right. Just yeah. I want to formally, fully announce again. Uh, right now, uh, beginning of 2022, year of our Lord, mm-hmm. on the Blank Check Patreon, we are doing the four Ghostbusters films, and then after that, we will be doing the four Matrix. We'll be going movies. back to the Matrix. We'll be going back to the Matrix. So the point is. Uh, this is January and April. We'll be doing a second, uh, slightly more May. distance view. Oh, oh no, no, April. sorry, March, March and April. Yes, April yeah. will be Resurrections. I'm April saying. will be Resurrections, but March first, March twenty first, and the original 1st, trilogy April will revisit 21. with episodes that are now. So get excited. Yes. We will. Um, we will be doing more Matrix talk. If this is you know whatever, if this isn't enough, well, I just bring it up because. Much like you, I've been feeling the pressure of just like, this is an episode people have been waiting for for years. This is the thing, yeah. I think more than anything else we've done on the show, even Truly. like the Star Wars movies. No, it or... is, because, because there's the moment that, that Ben placed at the beginning of the episode yeah, in I editing mean, of you realizing in real time on the Howl's Moving Castle episode, you check your computer, you see the news, you go, oh my God, news. oh my God. And it was beyond, so what's that? That's 2019? Yes. Is when it's announced, because like, it's not just how excited I was that that was happening. Lana Wachowski to make a new Matrix movie with Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss. Yes. That was like the announcement, basically. Right. But it was like, there had been two years of discussion and chatter of like, they're going to do a new Matrix movie. The Wachowskis won't be sure. involved. Maybe a reboot. Zach Penn to write. And Michael we'll B. Jordan possibly involved. Yeah. The other element, of course, is Wachowski split up. Maybe they're Wachowski's, never going to make any movie ever. Right. Signaling maybe they're not that interested in making stuff right now. Blah, blah A lot of that. But then, yeah, just the sort of terminal bummer of like, oh... The Matrix has gotten to the credibility point where they want to bring it back. Right. But it's going to be some weird boulderized right. thing. Like, so the, just the, the pure excitement of that. The way you reacted, I, it was like, di- did you just get the worst news of your life? Like, did you oh, just... Oh, because I'm like freaking out. Well, it was like, it, you just went like blank. <laughs> I can't even explain. It's like it's like looking at someone process shock in real time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, sure. Where you just went like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. We were right, like, what? Right. And then you just sort of like said it. It was wild that it was like there had been no rumors, and then suddenly there was a full announcement. There had really was, been very nothing. Like Chad Stahelski had said one thing once about like Lana has a pitch for Matrix Four that I love, and then had walked it back and been right. like, well, it's very right. theoretical. Like that was the only time anyone had even. Right. Hinted it. And we were just ready for the Zach Penn bummer news. And then suddenly right. it was like Lana, Keanu, Carrie Ann. It's a sequel. Right. It's like, right. Back right. to the Matrix. Uh, Mitchell and what's his name? Co writing. David it. Mitchell co writing with Alexander Hayman. Right. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. And here's the release date. And you yep. just, mm-hmm. you say your great line. What do I say? I don't It's going to be amazing and everyone's going to hate it. I was right. Look, I will say I actually think you were less right than I thought you were going to be. I, I thought this was going to get like uh, Jupiter ascending levels of backlash. And I think there are more people who are on the wavelength of this movie than I would have expected. All right. That having been said, when the trailer came out three, four people, months ago, was like, holy shit. Right. This I was looks like, great. Is this yeah, going to be yeah, a yeah. fucking home run? Is she going to win everyone back? And it's like the fact that she's like at like 60 or 70 percent positive and the, the other percentage I think is incredibly Negative? Well, here's what I'll say. All right, I'm going to yeah. say a few things. One, we're going to talk about the Rachel's Resurrections on this episode, obviously. Two, 
I'm very enthusiastic about this movie. People who listen to the show I might know it. I'm very yeah. enthusiastic about this series. I'm a yes. huge fan of the sequels, defender of the sequels. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Griff, you like this movie a lot. I love very it. Very excited. I would give it a capital L love. So get ready, anyone yes. listening, for like a basically positive assessment of this movie. If that blows your mind, which some people online yes. have indicated to me that it is mind-blowing that I like this movie, I'm sort of like... Uh, apologies that's certainly the vibe you're going to be getting here Ben I don't really know where you are on this oh movie. I'm about to slam dunk on this fucking no I actually <laughs> didn't necessarily love it or it was just it was like so much to take in uh, at the theater when Griffin and I went sure. I watched then last night and really locked in on the movie. Love it. Oh, so, yeah. Wow. Ben's more okay. into it. Ben's more. Kind of oh, so this is going to be a very positive, positive episode. Yeah. That's fine. It ends. I turn to Ben. I go, well, that thing fucking rules. Mm. And Ben says, I don't know. And uh, I said, and you don't know? <gasps> and he was like, I actually, I don't know what that is. And to be clear, you were like, I don't even know if I'm saying like negative. I just actually don't even know what that is. Yeah. I I'll really s- had no idea. I'll say this. Yeah. The movie got, I would say, you know, a few... A few very positive reviews, mostly mildly positive to mildly negative reviews and some like abjectly negative reviews. Mm -hmm. It's about 64 on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that Rotten Tomatoes is really a metric of much, but still, you know, like not a home run. But Revolutions was like 30 something. Revolutions was greeted with uh, disdain, whereas whereas Reloaded actually was sort of like a... um, a Phantom of Menace thing where it got pretty good reviews. I was going to say Phantom Menace, uh, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, where the critics were like, yeah, it looks like a Star Wars slash Matrix Rise of Skywalker. Star Trek movie to me. Right. Rise of Skywalker got fairly bad reviews, but better than it deserved. The first probably. wave yeah. of people being like, yeah, it's not great, but it like works. And then I feel like six weeks later, everyone was like, oh, this thing's fucking diarrhea. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. The reviews from the critical community were all right. And then the backlash from yes. the fan and sort of genre film community was strong. Yes. Quickly with Reloaded. And so by Revolution's time, everyone's like, fuck right. this. Same thing happened with Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. Yes. For that, the second one kind of got like lukewarmish. Like, yeah. oh, this is okay. And then the third one was really slammed. Right. And that's what's happening, in my opinion, probably with this, where it's like, there's definitely fans. There's definitely like yes. a lot of, you know, you know, people who really locked in with the movie. But I am sensing like, and emerging like, what the fuck are you talking about? You thought that there's was that good? Thing. Like, there's definitely a sort of like, am I taking crazy pills community? Which is fine. Look, it, and this, this is another okay. qualifier. That's what, this, that's what I kind of want. I know we're throwing out a lot of thing, qualifiers you know? for it's this episode. Exciting. But I think we're very aware of the fact that there are a lot of eyes and ears on us right now. Because of the history of this show. Sure. Because everyone knowing the investment. <laughs> but like, let's know. not suck each other's dick. Like, who cares? You know, but, but yes. But, yeah. but I was stressed out about this. I didn't sleep well last night. I was re-watching shit. I mm. was just like, fuck, I can't. You know, like, how are we going to even do this episode? Um, but, but all this to say, especially in the last two years when I've been losing my fucking mind mm. uh, because of the state of the world mm. and being in isolation, what happened. Right. Um, uh, I, I feel like there has been a recurring, incredibly uh, uh, vocal backlash to when I, especially with new release films mm. that I love and am defending, mm. try to uh, intellectualize why people dislike the, the, it, sure, which I think sure, people view response. often as me sort of projecting your tense or fucking coastal elite douchebag that it, people don't like talking it. down to audiences around the country maybe people just don't let people not enjoy things yes griffin right that's the thing 
uh, I think I defend movies that I love, especially when they're weird. And you get a little weird. too, maybe, or you, you're saying like you know, too heady about, well, why don't people like it? I don't know. People don't like it. Right. And I'll say, look, uh, let me have my hyperbole. I enjoy being overcranked. Right. You have to remember that my role on the show is to be the fucking idiot comedy doofus. Uh, but, but, but beyond that, I do think also uh, we don't do a tremendous amount of new release films. And part of uh, our sort of anthropological study of it's usually we're usually hindsight. We're usually right. looking at stuff with hindsight. So I think there's there's a muscle in my brain that is trying to understand the reaction to a thing where when it's old and it came out a week ago, people are like, you're attacking me at a raw wound. And especially when increasingly there are oddball movies by directors that we now feel very emotionally invested it's in true. that part come out. And that are treated with some level of disdain, we really like defend them if we want to, right? Right. And I think sometimes this is all I'll say. I'm gonna try to, and David, fucking catch me and stop me if I start doing the like. I think people don't like this because of this you know. thing. Because I really want to stay away from that. And I really just want to focus on yeah, what I love movie. about this movie because I think this movie is very divisive. And I, in fact, unlike some other cases, fully understand every single reason why people would dislike this. So I'm just gonna mm-hmm. focus on what worked for me. Okay. Okay. Was there more? Or? There was. And okay. I'm already yeah, I feel like you were building to something say. and now I... Um, but uh, I don't know. I'll, I'm very I'll thrilled. Come back to it. For one, I'm not... Su- there's... The Wachowskis made a movie called The Matrix in 1999 that was very, very popular. Hugely and it's popular. a cultural landmark yes. to this day. Mm-hmm. They've not made a movie since that went over smooth. <laughs> they only make... Correct. Very big budget movies. Correct. Uh, but they've never released anything. The yes. Reloaded's the closest to a movie that did really well with the um, critics and yeah. uh, in the, at the box office. It's sour. It, and just, it's sour quickly. So I, it I would wanna... be really weird for Resurrections to reverse that trend. Although it was, you know, there, yeah, there was sort of a is everything cresting where it's like everyone loves the Matrix again, and then, you know, like, and it, uh, but no, no I'm going to come back much, to that. Much much more thrilled that it's a very divisive, uh, perplexing. Yes movie that is prompting all kinds of debate and you know that's what a matrix As sequel said, should be in my opinion it's going to be great and everyone's going to hate it mm. uh the, the second part of the thing i was going to say yes it, go ahead. it just is uh i remember the my broken brain the the two-point statement i was trying to make uh I, the other side of the thing uh is i feel like very often especially with these new releases when you get to these responses that as you describe are are, are you taking crazy pills? It is impossible to like this movie. Mm. Are these guys putting me on? Right? I've gotten a lot of that recently where I'm yeah. like, do you, have you heard of me? I'm very fond of these movies. Like, it's really not surprising that I like them. No, of course not. I mean, you had a tweet about your wife going, I'm happy that it's you like truly it. what she said the second the movie ended. I was like, eh? and she was like, I'm glad you like it. And I was yeah. like, okay. Which, look, that's a very romantic statement. I find that that speaks it was. to the health of your marriage and and the loveliness of your partnership. Oh. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to a partner to say to another person. But um, I I just I ask people I will stay away from the the fucking shit I do that annoys people. Uh-huh. I ask people to grant us the understanding that we're not fucking putting you on. Right. We're not in the we, tank. we like the movie. Right. Right. And because even like I wasn't sure Griffin would like it, but I yeah. thought he would. Yeah. Look, and, uh, there ways I couldn't. When I saw and I, it. I point to, and I still need to watch it a second time, West Side Story, I wanted to be fucking, like, effusive yeah. about. Well, you know, and I clearly liked it a lot, but had hang-ups. And I didn't pretend, like, I fucking love this movie. And I feel like I will see people go, like, 
they clearly didn't like this, but they thought it'd be a bummer to shit on the movie, so they pretend Never they like that it. Way. And that no. that that's one of the few fan responses to our show that actually regularly pisses me off. Okay, okay, but don't worry about it. Let's, but, let's but that's why on. I'm just. Those are the two qualifying statements I want to throw out. All right, okay. okay? All right, and all just right. in case we do have to say, I don't know why, but just on the off chance that somebody new is checking out the show with this episode, we are going to spoil the movie. We're so. going to spoil fucking everything about this. <laughs> if film. you don't want to spoil, then turn it off and see the movie, and then you can listen. And that person, of course, saying this because it's a new year. Maybe this is a jumping in point for people. Yes, is go ben ahead. Mosley, the producer of the show, producer Ben. Hey. Producer Ben, the Ben Deucer, the poet laureate, the meat lover, okay, the tiebreaker, right. the fart detector, the finest film critic. This is a thing that started a long time ago. Birthday Benny, gave me Hello a Fennel, bunch of not, nicknames. Not Professor Crispy. Is that he goes through it and it takes Benny, a really long time. White Hot Benny. And it's like a complete wet Benny, sort of Hoss, derailment. Right Mr. Now. Momentum. Mr. Hosley. Uh, close you know, personal friend of David on and on, But fans seem Voice to have liked it for some reason. Even as far I know, David's like shaking his hand. It's like a 50-50 Wishful Ben. What is that? That was uh, Io uh, Debris. Oh, that's right. Came up with that in that's Beyond right. the Lights episode. Hosleywood. Hey. Because he was in Hollywood for the Dark Star that's episode. True. He also has graduated to a series of tells over the course of a different miniseries, such as producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo right. Ben, Ben Knight so, Shyamalan, Ben's 8. At mm-hmm. some point, that's, that's his Wachowski. We say anything, dot, dot, dot. Ayla Ben's with a dollar like sign. Warhaz, Haas, Bane, Ben 19, the Fennel Maker, Robo Haas, Benglish, Mr. Ben Credible, Mr. Ben Hosley, Beetle Vagrus, the Hosley public, Ben Hosaka of the Ditch of the Jersey. Yep. Stop making Ben's with a Z. So now he's doing, yeah, the miniseries names. Colin Pig in the City. Ben Hosley met Sally, dot, dot, dot. The Secret Life of Ben's with a Z. The Great Mouse Fart Detective. The Hosbreak Kid. Parentheses open to punch up. Ben's in the Haas. And I want to just say it now for the first time ever. Benscape from New Haas. That's what we're doing. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, good. Fine. And I, I just that. want to cite this is the first time that I finally have conceded and pe- pulled up the blank check wiki and just read the list because I, I officially can no longer do it from the reason. Yeah, well, well, also, it takes too much time. Memory is we, we don't do it every week anymore. Yeah, right. And the reason we don't do it any week anymore, apart from the fact that it takes a long time is that it just became so mortifying to do it in front of any guest i was not very very close with that's a and b it, it was, became so mortifying to start the chain for me and be like what if i blink well sure you have the performance anxiety <laughs> right, thing right but i just like it would be one thing if it was like it's the you know, someone drop. i'm friends with right right embarrassing oh, sure. right absolutely but yes. like because they get so like i feel like that bitch especially gets so embarrassed yeah. Yeah. yeah but like it's like you know like Michael Cerverus, like some guy where it's like, God, oh. it's so exciting that we have like I a know. really fucking Tony Award winner, you know, impressive, interesting person. Yeah. And then Griffin's like, you know, and I'm just like, oh, it's fucking God. Ass. And I don't want to tee it up, but we have a couple people coming Hopefully. on the podcast this year. Yeah. That, that are bananas. Hopefully. I mean, let's not, let's not, but yes, yes. I'm saying that because we I have, just updated the spreadsheet with the new ads while you were doing that. FYI. We haven't. <laughs> Jesus. We have enough wild people booked mm-hmm. that I feel comfortable saying we have a couple wild people coming because even if some of them drop out, there are enough people on the spreadsheet right now who blow my mind to possibly be on the show that I imagine at least one or two of them will. Super yeah. exciting. We love it. The Matrix Resurrections, the Matrix Resurrections. So, is so, a, yeah. a Lana Wachowski film. Lana solo for the yes. first time, although Sense8 Season 2 is also solo Lana. I want to dig into context here because yeah. I do think Ben and I walked around for a while after seeing the movie. You saw it at the Williamsburg Cinema. 
We did. Uh, Omicron has been ravaging New York City. Mm. Uh, this movie was obviously available on HBO Max. I completely understand and support anyone who just does not want to go to a fucking theater right now. Yeah. It's scary. You know. But I, you and I agree, and perhaps we have biases here, but I do think I am able to impartially view this with a certain amount of logic. I do think movies are a safer indoor activity than most public things. I agree. We don't need to talk about Especially this. because. Yeah. Like us, we just found a screening where there were going to be five people in a big auditorium. Yep. It, it, it we we looked at the Fandango preview. We were like, this time, no one's there. Look, the screen's big enough. Yeah, I see yeah, the yeah. seats. We so sat like, up, like, up front, David, Griff style. Way up Disgusting. close. Disgusting. <laughs> people, everyone's different. Everyone lives in different places. Uh, everyone's allowed to do it. David's one want. of these people, like my father, who wants to sit as close to the exit as possible. I and like aisle, back aisle. Back yeah. aisle. Where people corner. are like, well, the f- screen's not filling your face. And I'm like, the screen's very big. I can see the whole screen. It's right there. Right. And I I want to not remember that anything exists other than the screen. Right. All I need from a cinema experience is, you know, darkness, good projection, bright, you know, blah, blah, blah. And And I ask for total immersion. Right. You know, no one's looking at their phones, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, that's all. Like, I I will say, I saw this film in, uh, at the Lincoln Square IMAX. Did I tell you what happened? No. Uh, and that was like kind of, you know, it was like a slightly edgy time. You were like, texting me though, being stressed out about getting there earlier, early enough that you could get your seat. I, there's a particular seat I like at the Lincoln Square IMAX right at the back because uh, it's a uh, secret yeah, bathroom. It's, 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 there's a secret bathroom. Not that <laughs> yeah. I went to the bathroom during this movie, but, uh, you know, I am a famous, famous peer. You know, famous. It's probably uh, one of the movie three or four things you're most famous for. Yeah, e- Esther Zuckerman, friend of the show, loves to anytime I don't pee during a screening, be like, "Damn, you liked it." Like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't take a break. With my dad, the test used to be a movie was really good based on how little he slept through it. <laughs> sure, right. When he would take us to fucking um, movies and he'd go like, yeah, it was just an edgy. You know, like, you know the, oh, the cases were going up. You're starting to hear about people. Yes, you know whatever. And so I was, I remember I was a little anxious about that, but I was also anxious about I want to see my movie. Of right? course. This screening, by the way, there were not a lot of people there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I expected, like, you know, kind of a rocking full house, which I had just gotten yeah. at Spider Man for the press yes. screening. And this one, I mean, that's uh, for whatever reason, was, I mean, it's a very big theater, that yeah. theater. So maybe that's why it felt sparse, but it was like, you know. But Spider Man, Spider Man today just, just crossed. became Sony's highest grossing film of all time. Uh, in nine days, 10 days, so, something yeah. insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, no, the stat I saw is that it just outgrossed. Um, Rise of Skywalker, sure, which was the highest grossing film the last two since, years. right? Because it was the last sort of it was it, it was the highest grossing film of right. 2019, the last pre-pandemic year, yeah, 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 right? So it's now the highest grossing film in three years, including even the rest of the 2019 box office, and it surpassed Rise of Skywalker's number in 12 days. It's very successful. That it took Rise of Skywalker 91 days to get to. It's very successful. Uh, it's a fairly fun. theater experience that i had seeing that movie it is it is i enjoyed that movie it is but it also it uh people have look people are reporting on the fact that this movie is bombing at the box office and i think that is a a completely impossible to judge based on it being on hbo max at the same day at the time of a spike over the holidays when people are staying at home and people are like well spider-man's doing well it's like well spider-man is not like any other movie that has come out in the last two years and it's also the audience reaction it's getting which is better i think it's great for better or worse the thing that drives People leaving their home and going to a theater these days is not wanting to be spoiled. Yeah, exclusivity. That, that is, and right, exactly. But like, the X like, factor with Spider Man is I, I don't want to have to avoid the internet mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. there are all these things that I know are going to get spoiled for me. And I think if Spider-Man were available on Disney Plus at the same day, it would have made a tremendous amount of money, but a lot of people would have gone, eh, health risk, I'm going to stay home and watch it. And with Matrix, that became a very easy decision to we stay can, at home and watch it. We can it. talk about that in the box office game. This is what I want to say. Though. Okay, go ahead. Ben and I uh, took the walk back from the theater to the train station, and I, uh, Ben was, as, as we said, saying, I, I truly don't know what to make of that. I don't even know if I dislike that. I just, I don't even understand what that is. And I was like, Ben, I want to give you a lot of context because I do think the context on this movie is incredibly important. This is a movie that is so much about itself, which is a thing that some people find annoying, right? But this is a movie that is about the exact place this filmmaker is in at that point in their life. It's about where this series stands in the cultural mind at this moment, about where she wants to be as a filmmaker about the prospect of having to make this film. It's about all of these things. Mm -hmm. So as you said, the Wachowskis are screenwriters who write a spec script called The Matrix, which they sort of, it has that classic first screenplay thing, even though it wasn't literally their first screenplay, but a lot of what they had done before that was like for higher writing jobs sort of stuff, right? They'd written Ecto Kid for a Marvel imprint. They wrote Assassins, but it got heavily rewritten. All this sort of shit. But they were like, this is our big fucking swing, right? And by their own admission, it was one of those things where it's like, we put every single idea we had into this one script. Mm-hmm. We put everything we liked into one movie. It's like, make write a script as if you'll never get to make another script ever again. Everything in their lives up until this point in time. They pitch it to Warner Brothers. Uh, famously, the Warner Brothers executives go... I, I I don't think we understand it. We can tell that this is something big, but we don't get it. Would you mind explaining it to us again after they had read it? But it gets uh, acquired, and there were years of, will this get made or not? Because it was risky. They were just like, does this make any sense? We don't want anyone else to have this. There's a version of this as a blockbuster. They really want to direct it. Warner mm-hmm. Brothers was very scared about that. Untested. They go off. They make Bound essentially as an audition film. Yeah. To prove that they could direct a movie. Sure. And even though it's a small film, once they see that, they go, these guys know where to place the camera, right? That's part Sorry of for it. saying guys, misgendering. I meant a gender neutral term, but obviously it's more sensitive when we're talking about the two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's all. Everything you're saying is true. I'm going to take over a little bit. Yeah. Here. Okay. There's two, th- you know, just to clarify, Lorenzo de Bonaventura and Joel Silver were crucial in getting the movie made. Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who was the head of Warner Brothers at right. the time and was a big ass dork. And for better or worse, is one of the people who is probably responsible for culture shifting that much in that direction. Certainly. At a blockbuster right. level. And, uh, you know, they, they, the way they finally get the movie approved is the storyboarding. Uh, this had like a 600-page storyboard book. It's huge. That they present, which is basically the whole movie. Jeff Darrow, the comic book artist. Right. And Steve Scrooge worked on that. And, and like, that was where they finally did it. It was made cheaply for, like, I mean, quote-unquote cheaply for, like, $65 million. But one of these movies that was sort of a forebear of how these blockbusters are made now where it's like, you can watch the entire film before we've shot an inch of film. The storyboards are so deliberate. We're so specific about what the effects are going to be, what the shots are going to be, the timing of everything. And they send Warner Brothers. They shoot the first sequence. They send it to Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. Trinity, you know. The cold open of the movie is... And Warner Brothers is like, looks great. We can relax. Exactly. You're on your own. And then obviously the movie was a huge hit. The movie, The Matrix, is... It's been very interesting watching people rewatch all The Matrixes. Yes. Right? Some people who 
probably have not in a long time. And pretty much the universal reaction to the first Matrix is, damn, like movies used to look like this, like blockbusters. Yeah. Like it is such, it is still amazing to me and to people, I think, just like how like sort of like flawless and I don't know, enduring it is. Like, I mean, it's such a, it's almost a boring movie to talk about, but it's also such a complicated movie to talk about. I, uh, <sighs> they they re-released the film. They remastered in IMAX, and yeah. then they also released it in normal size screens. Yeah, and I dragged passenger guest, my sister Romilly yeah. Newman, to see it because she had never seen it. She was one years old when yeah, the first Matrix came out, right? Yeah. Which is a bizarre thing to think about. Uh, that someone can be quote unquote an adult. Well, it's a twenty two, uh, twenty three year old movie now. Correct. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And she's about to turn twenty four. Yeah. So I took her to see it, and uh, she knew almost nothing about it. Sure. She actually has avoided the cultural it's osmosis of the Matrix. She's not into sci-fi. This was nerdy boy shit, right? In her mind. Um, all she knew was that I had, quote-unquote, some trans take on it. And before it started, I was like, I need you to understand, this isn't a take. This is the reality of okay. these sure. filmmakers and what's happened to them in the sure. 25 years since, right? Okay. Um but I was very curious, like, is she just going to shut down or is this movie as sort of like universally undeniable as I think it is? Yeah. And it is. She just went like, yeah, holy shit. And it was also wild to see someone whose entire life has pretty much happened post-Matrix mm-hmm. be able to pinpoint things. Like, I was trying to contextualize for her a little bit. Like, you to understand, no one had synthesized all these things before. Right. These were things that existed, but not in the mainstream and not together. When you're combining sort of like uh, club culture and anime, and martial arts films, and like deep, hard sci-fi theory, and short story, all this sort of shit. Coding. Video games. Video games, yeah. Yeah, all these things. And and she was like, the fashion in that movie is incredible. And I was like, yeah, it still fucking is. is. You look at the Met Gala any year, and at least Mm. 50% of people look like they're from the Matrix. Still. Almost 25 years. Sequels have incredible fashion. Later. But but this is the funny thing. So I'm talking about this with her, right? And then she's like, so then what happened after this? She asked the questions that are so funny that are just the questions you cannot help but ask after watching that movie, even this decades later, right? She went like, wow, okay, A, I finally get Keanu Reeves, Mm. right? Sure. She was like, yeah, this is undeniable. I see the whole thing now, right? Uh, and interesting to watch now at a time when I feel like he's finally earned universal credibility. He, he's, he's no longer the butt of some jokes or whatever, right? Even when uh, he yeah. had a win, people used to be like, he usually sucks, but he's effective here. Right, now right, I feel right. like people are like, mm, Keanu rolls. Um, question number two. What happened to the woman who played Trinity? Sure. You watch that movie and you go, why have I not known right, why this person has a movie deal? star my entire right. life? Yeah. And I'm like, she did other stuff. She works. She's around. Her being back for fucking Matrix 4 is crazy. And, and Romilly goes like, so wait, what are the Matrix sequels? The fourth is like the first one 20 years. And I go, Romilly, they, mm-hmm. everyone hated him. And she went, how is that possible? Uh-huh. Are they really different? Uh-huh. Which I thought was such a funny right, response. Sure, sure. She was like, I just watched this thing. This fucking is undeniable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ending is right. so good. They made two more of them and people were angry. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, are they not the same? Yeah. My short answer I gave her was like, 
it was the expectations were so high. They shot him at the same time, mm-hmm. cutting edge special effects, budget so high, and the two movies pretty much deconstruct and deflate everything that the first movie. Uh, they do, and I think they're very intellectual. They don't have the same sort of clear emotional sort of awakening through line that made it easy for anyone to get into the first film. They go deep into the lore. Yes. David loves them. And Romley was like, of course he does. They're, they're, it's too complicated to talk about the sequels right now. I can't do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but they're, yeah, they, they're, they, they, it makes sense that they were not popular. Right. I didn't like them when I saw them. At that the was time. the question I was going to I ask. was, I was, no, yeah, we sure. talked about this. I, I was annoyed about Reloaded. I was so hyped. I was 17 years old. Yes. And like, I remember, yeah, I was very intrigued by the architect scene, which I remember, I do remember even at the time I was like, hmm, okay. And I was definitely not like, I went to see Revolutions. I wasn't like, fuck that. Like, which a lot of people were, because like Revolutions made half as much money. But I was... I I did not. I did not go. Right. I basically saw it for the show. Yeah. Yeah. All those years ago. Like, I hadn't even seen the third one. That's how like I think, little interest I had had. Did you even? I think you did watch the third one for the show. I did. Maybe. Yes, I maybe. think you did. Eventually, it was I kind know of back in the day it. when we were like Ben. You can skip this right. one if you don't want to. But let's say I mean like there was a, at there's least lots and lots of reasons why the sequels were not fifty million dollar domestic drop off between two yeah, and three. Yeah, right, well, and as you said, Rotten Tomatoes it went from like reload to get seventy eight percent or even higher. I can look it up. Resurrections gets like 34. Like it was like all the anger of people like a couple months later sitting on reloaded and feeling irritated. I'm, and I also feel like it was a little bit like after Phantom Menace came out yeah. where people were like, okay, that didn't rip the way I wanted it to, but maybe the third one will make sense of it. And then I think when people felt like the third one didn't give them what they wanted, they yeah. were like, now I hate reloaded twice. The third much. one is also, right, is probably the most challenging in that like, it sort of takes a lot of the lead characters off the board for right. a lot of the movie. It's mostly set in the real world, which has a much more depressing aesthetic than the matrix. Yes. It's got the sort of machine versus humans war, which I think some people dig, but it's very, and it's very anime, but it's yeah. not as cool as bullet time and martial yeah. arts and all that. And like, so that's part of it. Uh, they're all great. They rule. They're amazing, but there's no way they, they, they rule because they're very, very, very challenging and they are very, uh, you know, not more of the same. And as you already said, and as I said to Romley, explaining shit to her after this, I'm like, and then every movie they make after that bombs. They ke- they keep making movies that are visually plus challenging movies. and interesting yeah. and innovative. Right. And they keep making movies that are genre films. Yeah. Uh, Speed Racer is probably the least sci-fi, but even that is very sci-fi and obviously is a cartoon adaptation. I mean, I took her a, to see yeah. Speed Racer when she was a child and the look on her face when she was like, so then what happens after the Matrix sequels? And I was like, they made they Speed, Speed Racer. Racer. They sure did. She uh, could not believe. And Cloud Atlas and, yeah. you know, is sort of is sci-fi but also a million other things. Jupiter Sending is more, I think, what people wanted from them. In theory. It's like, hey, they're doing like a sort of straightforward sci-fi right. movie and then these people see it and are like, well, I don't like this. It's goofy. It's silly. It's, it's a fairy right. tale. It's, um, right. It felt like Jupiter Ascending was the end of the line, and then it was like, now Netflix is backing up the Brinks truck. This feels like a a pivot in culture that certainly has 
intensified since that moment, right? Where it's like Netflix is going to lure in the filmmakers who are starting to get reined in at the studios and let them do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And Sense8 is absolutely a whatever the fuck they want show. Definitely. It's uh, good. But was an early example of Netflix going like, never mind. You know, they canceled after the second it season. They so let them do a finale movie. It was so seasons, expensive. Right. It wasn't breakout enough for them. Right. Um, but definitely cult popular, you know, and sort of builds. Season two is kind of like season one, sort of a slow yes. plot thing. And season two is more, but delivers more. For 20 years, I feel like, and we defend their movies and other people like some of them, you know, mm. of course. There is just that thing. The general public consensus is like, why can't they just make The Matrix again? And I don't think anyone was at that moment in time asking him to do The Matrix 4, but it was like, why can't you do that sort of thing again? Why have you never, ever replicated that feeling mm. again? Mm-hmm. And the sequels are like the same, but they didn't make me feel the way that The Matrix did. And everything you've made since then feels like it's running as far away from The Matrix as possible. Mm. I guess so. It's very, we've talked about this. Look, listen back to our episodes. Right. And, and of course, over that same period of time, there is two transitions. There is a shifting uh, identity for both of them. You know, it's all this stuff that ends up, of course, informing the text of the film. But like, you know, Cloud Atlas and, we've talked about this, Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending are both about, you know, uh, humankind being used as like food or energy. Yeah. Which is what the Matrix is about. Right, you know mm-hmm. every every version, like they and, do and consciousness shifting, and, and like and, and consciousness like, shifting, like and Lana right. talks so much about like you know how the movies are kind of about love conquering all, right? Like all, right. you know, that's like a thing they keep going back to. That's a thing in this movie. That's a right. thing in their last. You know, they they have. It's just that I don't know. Look, this movie, The Matrix Resurrections, opens. You know, or like the first act of this movie is about partly about people interrogating like well, what is it people liked about the matrix what is yes what is it we should be delivering with a new matrix like what, what what do people want out of the matrix what did people want at the time what has changed uh and it's very funny and to me inspiring and interesting to see the movie do that i guess to, to some people it's it's annoying obviously it's very this is the last thing i want to set up is that uh by all accounts maybe starting five years after revolutions uh, every year Warner Brothers circles back to them and goes just by the way if you ever wanted to make another Matrix blank check whatever you want right and they keep yeah. on going no thank you no thank you sure they always reject any any talk of uh, fourth Matrix but it was one of those things even with the curl response to the sequels where it's just like well if a franchise is worth over a billion dollars they're never going to let it lay dormant for too long because every film they made after that was still at Warner Brothers, much like Christopher Nolan, it was like, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to go above them because we don't want to sever this relationship, right? But after Jupiter Ascending, which is just the final flop, I yeah, think sure. for the first time, Warner Brothers is like, mm, we don't necessarily need to worry about pissing them off that much. So they keep on saying to them, would you want to make a matrix? Would you want a matrix? No, no, no. And when Zach Penn comes to them for some fucking meeting of some sort and goes, by the way, have you guys ever thought about bringing back the matrix? Warner Brothers is interested for the first time. And he just goes like, I don't know, this thing's laying dormant. The, the, the green and the jackets and the fighting, there's something. There. Zach Penn, to his credit, I suppose, is very enthusiastic about the world of the matrix. He's just like, Much this like world me. is so good, you can't leave it. So he wanted right, to do something. 
Right. And then there were rumors that Michael B. Jordan had basically visited Warner Brothers and they were kind of like, like, here's a spread of like things we want you could a Michael do. Michael B. Jordan franchise. What's the thing that interests you? Maybe yeah. he had expressed some interest in a Matrix thing, maybe playing a Morpheus type or maybe not. Like, it I don't know. Like it, there was never a script and it yeah. absolutely sounds like the kind of exact blue sky pitching that you watch happen in this movie exactly. where they were just like, Michael B. Jordan, he's black. Morpheus is black. Is it he's young Morpheus? Is he Morpheus' grandson? I don't know. Put a pin in that. There had been so many rumors and Zach Penn had talked about, Mm -hmm. has talked about it more about like he really wanted to just expand, quote unquote, expand the universe. I'm not going to remake. I'm not going to reboot. I will leave Neon Trinity dead. It just feels like this is a universe in which there are other stories worth telling. He loved, he worked on Ready Player One, a good movie. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Zach Penn. No offense. Uh, Me neither. Um, I'm also uh, not a huge fan of Ready Player One. Well, Ready Player One is great. Uh, but he has certainly worked on movies that I like. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he has a storied, you can see, career first working class. on superhero movies. Right. He did a lot of the X-Men yeah. movies. He wrote the first draft of the Avengers, which was supposedly thrown in the garbage. He wrote, you know, he's written a zillion. Sure. But he said, like, Ready Player One, that's a movie that's set in a very matrixy world. It's set in a virtual world. Like, I love that that's stuff. That's the moment when this starts getting some traction. Sure, but then it doesn't happen because what happened was Warner Brothers went to fucking Lana Wachowski they did their annual, and Lily, I think, both. Right, they went to both of them. They did their annual check-in. They go, hey, it's that time of the year. Yeah, Matrix exactly. Pitch, Are you by interested? the way, this is the last offer because otherwise we're going to go ahead with this guy. I mean, I don't... Look, this is all rumor and conjecture. This but is no, all rumor I, and conjecture. I, I don't think it was, it was entire... It was also like, can we have your blessing? Because they needed... Or they really wanted her blessing, their blessing, whatever, you know, sure. least, you know, someone to be like one of the Wachowskis to be like, we don't want to do any more matrixes, but hey, yeah, there's a world for people to play in if they want to. And they explicitly did not want to do that. Both of them give their blessing to a different project. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. But rumor and conjecture, a thing that you and I heard directly, mm-hmm. not from people who were in the room, but was that, you know, it, it was sort of the final check-in of like, if you want to do it, we let you do it. Otherwise, can we get your blessing to do other things? At this period of time, right? Uh, Lily had transitioned, which happened years after Lana. Yeah. Uh, and when she transitions and comes out publicly about that, she also steps away from Sensei. She's not really involved She's in not season involved two at all in season of two. Sensei. Yeah. Right. And even season one was far more Lana than Lily by most accounts. Okay. Um, they had a big facility. They had the production company. They shut it down. They sell the facility. Yeah. There's sort of, like you said, there was kind of the rumor of like, are they just done? Are they done? done making. Was there a falling out with them? Movies, whatever. Are they going to do separate things? Who knows? Yeah. Um, they circle back to the two of them. In the year leading up to that, both mm-hmm. of their parents die. Ron and Lynn Wachowski, who this movie is dedicated to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they lose a close friend. A, a as well. close friend of Lana's died. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Lana said that in her grief, being unconsolable, mm-hmm. and being in this position where it's like, who would I want to talk to about my grief? The three people who just died. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know how to process this. This is so overwhelming. She started thinking about Neo and Trinity a lot. Yes, the, the, the idea of having Neo and Trinity back was a great comfort. She said this in her, you know, Lana doesn't give a lot of interviews. No. But she has said that in, uh, in, in whatever interviews she's given her. There's or whatever, this you know. speech they did at that uh, Berlin yeah, right, International right. Writers Conference or whatever it's called right. that I'll make sure we tweet out that I sent to Ben because yeah, yeah. I think it's very revealing in a lot of ways. But, it, but it, I think it literally just started as I started thinking about these characters as a comfort. I wanted to spend time with them the, uh, in my mind. The idea of having them alive again, because obviously, spoiler alert, at the end of Revolutions, yeah. they die. Right. Dead. But I even think before so, it, it congealing into an actual story pitch. Well, she says just, she had the story immediately, but I don't know. Yeah. It was just that in her mind, these characters come to her and then the story comes to her. But I think a lot of this movie is about the solace of characters we love. Right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, because it is interrogating. I think people think, I, I, once again, understand all the reasons that people could dislike this movie. But a thing I push back on is the notion I see in some places that this movie is a cynical exercise and that this movie is arguing that it doesn't need to exist. I think uh-huh. this movie is interrogating its reasons for existing. Right, 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 right. And, and I think I, it's, it's having some fun with the right. idea in culture that these things Absolutely. all need to be rebooted or re- re- revived or whatever. But I think it yeah. is a very earnest, passionate film about, like, you know, the, the machines have rebuilt these two fucking dead characters, mm-hmm. right? And characters that weren't just dead, but were like decimated, blinded, rebar through the chest. Yeah, they're dead. They're All right, this yeah, shit. Sure. And you have these two machines being like, we're going to rebuild them and make them even prettier than they were before, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And let them age, but only like a sexy amount of age. Sure. Relative to how much time has passed in the film. And to some degree, that's like the cynical thing. of, And we've complained about this a lot in different movies, sequels, where it's like the first movie ends so perfectly, this character sure. had good closure. They evolved to this point, and then the sequel kind of resets them or revives them in a way that is depressing where you're just like, let them have their peace. Right? Yeah. Let them enjoy this. Yes. It's, it's depressing that, for example, Agent K gets de-neuralized, that RoboCop uh, retreats back into RoboCop his robot again. instincts, all yeah, these yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have this thing that feels like this sort of cynical, gross exercise. These robots are bringing Neo and Trinity back to life. They won't even let them stay dead because they need to use their love to power the universe. Hell yeah. And I think that's a thing that makes some people go like, so they're acknowledging this is gross that they brought them back. And it's like, no, but the whole point of the movie is also that like, Two things can be true at the same time. It's nice to be back. And they, they at the end of the movie, they thank the analysts for giving them a second chance. Right. And Lana herself is acknowledging, I always thought it was gross to revive these characters. But in my greatest moment of grief, I found so much comfort in thinking about them and their love. Beyond that, look, I love the original trilogy of movies. I love the ending. Yeah. I think the ending is great. The ending does end with the Oracle saying, like, I think we'll see Neo again. That's literally the last line. It's like, I think he'll be back someday. And it does also, Trinity, you know, dies. I've always found Trinity's death, you know, it's very emotionally compelling, obviously. And like, it's sort of plot-wise has to happen because Neo has to want to die. Mm -hmm. You know, he has to accept his sacrifice and it would make less sense if Trinity is just kind of like waiting in the car being like, go figure it out with the machines and then get right back here. You know, like, 
So, but I don't think Trinity's death is like so dramatically necessary that bringing her back is some like spit in the face. Oh, uh, like, sure. I, you know, bringing them back is fine. I think the Neo death was one that people felt more prickly about because of the, the whole sort of uh, uh, Messiah arc of him that it's like he needs to have the sacrifice and bring him back. I agree with you. Messiahs are always Shrug. coming back. Shrug. But the other thing that you have to acknowledge is just in the last 10, 15 years, the Lega sequel has become this fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the, the sort of 20 years on, your faves right. are back. But you talk Blade about Runner, how like Star Legacy Wars, is this weird Tron. movie that's sort of mm-hmm. the forebear of what all studio mm-hmm. franchise thinking becomes, where it's like, what if you don't reboot it? Right. You actually make a sequel that acknowledges the passage of time. Right. That is referential. Update it. You have a new generation. And and an old generation coexisting. But like, and it tries to thread the needle of like, let's make a movie for a 12 year old who's never seen Tron that will, they will enjoy. But it also their dad who loved Tron will be like, oh my God, Flynn's back. And you have to be really deep and respectful of the lore, but you also need to have it be a launching pad for a new thing. And then this is like, uh, 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 Jason Siegel Muppets, uh, Star Wars, Force Awakens, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, all these fucking things. Right? It's so pervasive too now, so even per- especially. Yes. It's very pervasive. To me, sometimes I'm like, why are all of my friends who really like movies talking like studio executives all of a sudden and thinking that sure, way right. and having which kind is of another thing this, this mind for it on. all yes. of a sudden? Yes, which I just I I find really strange because like as a someone who just wants to be entertained and likes movies, right. I don't go into uh, watching something and thinking about that. Stuff. And look, throwing bricks in a glass house, right? Obviously this is what we do on this show and it's what we fucking made our bones doing and it's the core of our friendship, David, you and I. Sure. But it is interesting seeing more and more, I feel like with every year, uh, uh, the mainstream culture talking about things in terms that you and I think of, where it's like the general public is very aware of studio maneuvering of IP. It is. It's much more aware. Right. And that's why you can make a Spider-Man No Way Home or whatever. Right. And you just can make a movie. The that the outcry- it, right. Oh, my God. The Fox rights are going to go back to Disney so they yeah, can put crazy. X-Men crazy. in yeah. there. No, no, that's true. It's and, true. It's crazy that people, people are now who you don't think that. of as following the film industry saying, well, the problem with the Disney Star Wars movies, obviously, is they didn't have a Feige who was overseeing the whole f- series and one director. Like that whole intellectualization of the business maneuvering behind the stories and the value of yeah, the yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. These are all things that she's commenting on. At the That's same true. time that she's commenting on where she feels about her own career, her own life, this thing that she created that also has like many things that become so seismic. Okay. Developed reputations completely okay. out of her control. And she's reckoning with all of that too. What does the Matrix mean to people 25 years later? What good has come out of it? What bad has come out of it? Why do people want to go back to that? Is that a bad impulse? Is that a weak impulse to just want to retread things? Not or just is the Matrix. there value? Not just the Matrix. Nostalgia in general. Yes, like, is that a positive, negative force? How yeah. do we, or, or whatever. How, how is that a force in our life? Why can't Here's, we generate I, I sit down stories? and see this movie. Yeah. 
I think it's Square Amex. Everyone, it's one of those things where like there's a few critics around me who are kind of like, ooh, David's yeah. excited. Like, you know, like, you know, everyone else I is kind of like, like yeah, six here to tweets see of people taking photos of your masked face. My masked face. Uh, I walk into the theater. I walked into the lobby uh, with my dear friend, Esther Zuckerman. The great Esther Zuckerman. Passing um, you were wearing all latex, correct? Uh, and I walked up to Lace press, Trinity I walked up to a press check-in table. There's always, yep. you know, a table where you check in. Sure. And I walk in up and it's it's Lauren. Shout out Lauren, a uh, friend of mine. And I'm like Lauren Michael? Lauren. L-A-U-W. L-A-U-R. Yeah. Lauren. Oh, Lauren. Michael. Lauren. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm like, hey Lauren. And she's like, hey David, uh, okay. I don't see you on the list, but I'll just write your name down. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, Lauren works for Universal. I don't know what's going on here. And she's like, and it's in like theater 12. You know, it's in like a crappy oh. theater. You know, like not, I, I assumed it was playing in IMAX. And I was like, um, and I, and I walk away and then I'm like, wait, Lauren, you're not Matrix, right? And she's like, sing too. Yeah. And I was like, just imagining a world where I go and sit down and I'm yeah. like, so excited for the Matrix and then sing too. Just right. And you, like I had like for what in my days, you just run not frantically about from one screen to another. You miss the first two minutes. You never get over it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. And then I was like, oh, that's okay. fine. And then I was hunted around and eventually yeah. Warner Brothers somewhere else. Um, I'm very nervous. I was very excited for this movie. I had heard from some people at the junket screening that it was bad. Uh-huh. And I was kind of like encouraged by that in of a course. way where I'm like, ooh, interesting. And it's you that, heard from some friends like I'd heard from some people that it was good. Like right. Emma had seen it. At a and even more screen. specifically, I think you're going to love it, David. And I'd heard from, I talked to one person who was like, oh yeah, it's great. You know, and then I was like, oh yeah, you know, some people don't like it. And he was like, People don't like it. Like people, yeah. like someone who was so like into it, that was like, "Oh wait, it's not going over." We're like you know, like but and I was like, "Okay." Let's also say I feel like I spent more time tracking fan theories on this than you did. Like I fucking joined the Matrix subreddit and was reading everyone's breakdowns of what they thought the movie was going to be. You were mo- more trying to stay pure with this. I rewatched the trailer obsessively. I, was, I yeah, like, I really did. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I for the last four months since that trailer came out text a lot just going like do you have any idea what the fuck this movie is like there was something thrilling to the fact that it was so hard to piece together what this film was even going to be let's say compared to something like no way home where both of us went into this like i think i know what the basic I think I, of this film's going to be i, 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 I went into no way home being pretty like, much know what the last act's going to be even kind they, of they've been trying to keep it under lock and key and it's like i think i can predict what's i was sort happen. of pleased by how little I knew about No Way Home. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I knew I that, could you know, put, I, I, I could make guesses I, I, I in my mind. Did he find a way home? Or should we not spoil it? it? It's actually well, a really honestly, difficult answer. We're not going to spoil he it. kind of does and doesn't. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, but, but my this big film, fear. we'd look at the trailer, we'd be like, I don't understand how this and that and what, how does that all piece together? What is this movie? What is the story? What's the vibe? It was exciting. I My big, it wasn't even a fear, but my big thought was like, this movie will probably not be too heavy on Matrix lore, be too mm-hmm. heavy on the sequels. Sure. It might try because, to reset to the cultural memory of the first film. Both because, right, like not everyone is up to date with them. Mm-hmm. And because like, you know, it seems to be more emotional, like from the very right. little I'm getting, like, you know, it's about Neo and Trinity and like it's about their rebirth. And like, it doesn't need to. And I had heard from one person who'd seen it, like someone else had asked him, like, do I need to rewatch the sequels? And he was like, no. Nah. No, but we also fine. we know Niobe is in it. We know Merv. I knew that. In I it. knew that. That's true. That's yeah. true. But I was still kind of like. And then so I watched this movie that had that somehow, in my opinion, is a very uh, clever and aware take on revivals and yeah. sort of you know nostalgia and bringing things back. 
is so exciting and deep and thrilling to a Matrix nerd like me in how it delves into the lore, expands, yeah. very much addresses the sequels and like yes. builds on them. Yeah. And like they, you know, certainly does not try and kind of like wipe those away or whatever. Absolutely not. Which it would have been very easy for them to do. Easy to do. With this premise. Very easy. And is a very kind of swoony, more sort of new late Wachowski kind of romance. You know, like Love Conquers All. This movie is so of a piece with their last four films. More so. Very much so. And but not in a way where it feels like dramatically insanely different from The Matrix, but it does feel different. And, and let's say, I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to intellectualize this. I'm just saying the thing I've seen people say. Yep. And to be clear, including very good friends of mine whose opinions I respect, who I've had very civil conversations with about what we do or do not like about this movie. Sure. Right? Right. Um, and a lot of them just say, and I think this is beyond valid, I'm just missing the filmmaking style of the first three Matrixes. Definitely. This movie looks very different. It has a very different visual language. The action sequences, which we will talk about, are very different, right? Definitely. Uh, the vibe of it, the tone of it, all of this sort of shit is more in line with the last three Wachowski projects, I would say. With Jupiter Ascending, Jupiter with Cloud Atlas, with Sensate in particular. I think this movie is very much Definitely. of a piece with Sensate. And I think Sensei being some sort of, not a final form, but like uh, Lana has talked about this and, and to speak to the difference in style, right? As you said, Matrix was sold on this incredibly dense, precise- Storyboarded to hell. Storyboarded to hell. Previs. The whole movie's figured out. They're executing what's in their mind's eye with like Hitchcockian precision, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The actors have to move within a centimeter of the timing of this and this and that. Sense8, which was uh, shot by John Tall, yeah. who shot their last two movies. He shot their half of Cloud Atlas mm -hmm. and Jupiter Ascending. Speed Racer was uh, Tattersall. Mm -hmm. uh, and before that, Bill, Bill Pope. Pope. The great Bill Pope. The great Bill Pope did their first four movies. Uh, very distinctive look. Bill Pope. He rules. He did Alita. He did Shang-Chi this year. He rules. He's yeah, my and, favorite. And He's kind of in the Marvel world Regular right guy and, and right. Did the Spider-Man movies for Sam Raimi or the sequels. Um, but they have different artistic collaborators now. Uh, Tom Tickers doing the score instead of Don Davis. All this sort of shit. Mm -hmm. But she's talked about how uh, and I think they've been moving more and more into this style since 8. They didn't do rehearsals. They didn't have blocking. Yep. They wanted to shoot it more documentary style. They wanted to give actors freedom and authorship over the scenes. She wanted to be surprised by things that were happening. Uh, evolve things on the day. More collaborative in that sense with performance. Use more natural lighting. You right. know, things become warmer and more glowing. Very held. Off the cuff. Yes. Improvisational, apparently. Like, you know, like, this is what I've been hearing. Like, like what Jonathan Groff said, like, she was like, you know what? Take your socks off. Yeah. I see you as a no socks guy. Like, and yeah. that was like on set as they're starting to film. Like, but like no storyboard. No, no rehearsals. Very emotional is how she's putting it. Like, you know, very emotion led. They don't even do blocking now. rehearsals. It's like actors show up. You have your thing. Uh, we haven't talked about this. I want to see what you have. And let's roll. First take, first glass. Which for people who don't know, you show up on set 
Everyone's drinking their coffee. The actors have their script pages. You run through the thing like eight times while a bunch of different crew people go like, maybe I'd put the mic there and the lights here and this and that. And very often you decide the next 20 shots you're going to do in order based on what the actors and the director figure out. Right. Send people away. You do your makeup. Two hours later, you come back. You do everything as it was planned, right? The evolution happens in that rehearsal process, maybe. And then it's pretty fucking locked in because now we've set up equipment here and there. This was like, let's just set this up where it's lit in a way. And this speaks to why the movie looks so different as well. Aside from the narrative reasons why it has a very different color palette mm. is a lot of natural lighting so that actors are not locked into uh, you have to stand here because the light's there. Or we can't move the camera this way because then you'll see this equipment. We want that sort of freedom, mm-hmm. which leads to very often you need more coverage. Yep. And that coverage is looser or... Uh, is the action in this movie peaceful. is, I think, almost getting a bad rap. I don't think it's that bad. Like, it's kind of... I don't know. Yes. I, like, I think it's of a piece with the film. That's sort of my main I agree. take on it. I agree. Like, but I, it is certainly not like the other Matrix movies. Even people don't like the Burly Brawl in the sequels. They don't like the Smith-Neo fight. But those are cutting-edge sequences. Those yes. are like, let us push everything we've got to the absolute limit. And, you know, in the sequels, I would say, maybe they reach their limit and you can yeah. see the limits. Like, you know, Highway okay, Chase they, is the best sequence of the... Well, that Highway right. Chase is incredible. That totally worked. But like, you know, the Smith yes. fights and stuff. Yes. Like, where sometimes you're like, Okay, they were 95% of the way there, and now I can, in this shot, sort of see, it looks But janky, even for the things that don't hold up well. Nothing in this movie feels that no, way. No, even yeah. for the things that don't hold up well tech-wise in those two sequences, or just over-conceptualized or whatever, there is a precision and a, a clarity of action that I think, I think people are more critical of the action of this movie. In a way, I understand, because I fall into this as well. The action is the weakest aspect of this film. Definitely. Inarguably. Yeah, And I think part of that is there's perhaps a mild indifference from Lana that's not or whatever. It just it's just not the priority anymore to make really, really like insane action or whatever. I don't know which the sequels I was watching uh, Matrix Revisited, which was the, uh, Matrix was the best selling DVD of all time. And it was so successful. They put out another DVD that was essentially just it was just more special, special features. features. Yeah, right. There's not a lot of special features on the original disc, but yes, right. it's just, it's like an in-depth, it's like a feature-length documentary about making the movie. Kind right. Of. But, but also them in the early stages of the sequels, and it was sort of bridging the yeah, gap of the excitement. True. Right. And right. so I was re-watching that, and it's like all this footage they kept from the early days of developing the first Matrix, but you're also seeing the earliest glimpses of them doing six months of stunt rehearsal for two and three before yeah, they Jesus. started filming. Which that, you know? Keanu's 57. You know, he does the John Wicks, so it's not like he's not doing that They're, kind of shit anymore. It's a different type of action. But it 100% It's not is. martial arts. And he can't, right, he can't do, like, the shit they did. And you can read, Bilga Ibiri has this incredible piece he re-posted uh, uh, talking to Chad Stahelski, who makes the John Wicks, who is Keanu's stunt double, who plays Chad in this movie. Handsome Chad. Um, he's credited as Handsome Chad. He is. And he's a handsome guy. Yeah. Who ta- talking about, like, how unusual it was at the time for a Hollywood movie to have individual combat like as the centerpiece of your action. Like, yes. you know, cause like in the yes. Schwarzenegger center in that right. era, it's more like punch, you know, like it, it was not well, like the a 10 minute hand to hand fight sequence. Are not like, fighters in that way. No, I mean, cause that's not their vibe. Right. And so like, but the work they had to fucking do, like 
to get all that. That's right? when you watch sequences. this revisited thing. It is crazy when you realize how much work they did for the first movie and for the sequels. It maybe even doubled, right? Right. Um, so, not excusing Alan Smith, but like things I think people should understand about how this movie ends up the way it does. Right. Mm-hmm. The actors are older. They don't have uh, Ping, uh, who choreographed yeah. uh, the first three films, working on this. Working. Yeah. Um, I, who knows if they tried to hire him and he said no, or they didn't even reach out. It feels to me like just she didn't want to make as much of a martial arts movie. That's time. just not what this movie is. Right. At all. Right. I also think this is the first film we've seen her do without Lily. Sure. Uh, and Lily was less involved in Sense8 uh, and not involved at all in season two. And uh, this is very much of a piece of Sense8. And it's like some of those things that people are missing from the visual dynamic of this movie might have been more Lily things. I don't know. That's pure conjecture on my part. This is the thing. But it's a different DP, John Toll, who then they filmed like six weeks, two months of this movie in San Francisco. A lot of the exterior stuff, like yeah. the building shit at the beginning and the end of the movie, uh, yeah. the Simulante shit, whatever. And then COVID hits. And they shut down for like nine months. Yeah. Lana's like, we might never finish this movie. I might just abandon it. Right. Uh, they come back. John Tall's not available. So the camera operator, mm-hmm. who had credited. worked with them on their last four or five films, but also... Da- uh, Danielle Mass... Regular Ridley Scott collaborator, incredible steady cam operator, a camera operator, becomes the DP Massa Jesse. of Massa, the movie. Massa Jesse. So that's like sure. another evolution in... Yeah. Right, and they're filming the film under difficult circumstances at a time where they weren't sure if they were going to be able to film it again. It's very right. hard to do those sorts of uh, action sequences and stunt rehearsals and all that sort of shit. It's just, this is the film we have, right? Yeah, I'm satisfied. And it's not trying to impress you with the kung fu or the cutting edge effects, uh, visual language of the fight sequences. I think it is understandable to be aggressively frustrated with the fact that the movie isn't delivering on that level. Mm-hmm. I think because other action has gotten so muddy, mm-hmm. we're lacking the sort of tactility of a Matrix fight even when it was CGI augmented. Right. Or at least the clarity, the visual precision of it. Mm-hmm. That people were like, fuck yes, here we go. Lana's coming back. She's going to school everyone. She's going to show them how it's done. So when a new Matrix comes out and you're like, fuck, Shang-Chi kind of delivered better on yeah, that one sure. front. Yeah, with Bill Pope than Matrix did. I think that bums people out, which makes sense. Whatever, man. That's fine. Makes sense. I, I, the action is, but I, my defense of the action is it's maybe is what I said. It's kind it's, of of a piece. I, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like and, completely and insane. Look, it's like you, you fall into this territory with this film. It's sort of, we talked about this with uh, Total Recall when we did our Verhoeven series years ago of like, oh, that there's a way in which that movie is critic proof because anything that's shitty or nonsensical in it, you can go, well, it's all in his head. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. And in the same way, because this movie is so self-referential about its own existence, you can go like, well, it's like, the point is it's like the way modern reboots are. Right. Which I think uh, part of the, when people say that like are you taking crazy pills how can you think this thing is good they go like are you just excusing everything that's bad in this movie by saying no but it's supposed to be bad on purpose which we're not saying i'm not i'm not people can think whatever they want about people this can movie. think whatever they want that's the biggest part. i think the action works for me fine but it's not incredible the action no. is just, it's I just think bugs has some good action there's I some think, fun stuff. Bugs jumping some over really the car is fun. The opening yeah. sequence is the best which is the thing that's most directly emulating the style of yeah. the original matrix right i I think the Smith 
bathroom fights pretty decent in terms of hand-to-hand combat. But it's all, you know, it's more piecemeal. It's, it's not reinventing the wheel. And really, yeah. what I'm trying to say is that those all three really did kind of reinvent the wheel every yeah. time. The sequels, maybe a little less so, but they really were innovative in ways that people remember and don't remember. And, and she's maybe focusing on the other three wheels now. Hey, man. The Matrix Resurrections. Let's talk about it. How long have we been going? About, yeah, over an hour. Okay. We got to talk about the movie. Like, like scene by scene. The cold, cold open of the movie is, of course, I, I said the code open for a reason. It's those green letters. The rainfall, sure. yeah. right? Yeah, it's the same as ever. Warner Brothers, Village Roadshow, you know. You know, the theme you remember, the code dropping into Matrix. Resurrections comes up. Much like a you know corpse being revived, right? Like uh, something rising from the grave. Is the first line of this movie literally "This feels familiar"? Yeah, and it's it's you know we're seeing a call being traded. It's it's so like like the, the, the it's it's how you open. It's one a of restaging these of the Trinity scene, right. and then we get the reveal of this isn't Trinity. Who is this? Right. So you've got this great character whose name is Bugs, like the bunny. I mean, kind of the audience surrogate of the movie. Yes, uh, especially in the first chunk. Uh, you're, by you're Ray, your Sam Flynn. Right. Someone, someone who's Spengler. a fan of the Matrix. You're Walter. Metatextually, like, you know, is looking for Neo, yes. is sort of reveres him, blah, blah, blah. Played by Jessica Henwick. Which, just to be clear, by the three examples I just cited, is already its own trope now. It really has become such a trope. Um, and this character is both fulfilling that and commenting on it at the same time. Do you like Jessica Henwick? I, look, Forky was like, who, who? I know this person. And I was like, right, you watched every episode of Iron Fist. You mean you didn't even like it and you watched it because she was in that. I never watched Iron Fist. I didn't either. I remember and, the take being like, she's, she's the good one. Right. She should you be know, the like, lead. you know, she was Colin Wing. Right. She was uh, she was a X-Wing pilot in Force Awakens. Yeah, but she's not in the sequels because uh, they didn't communicate to Ryan Johnson that she was still alive. He thought she had died. Right. And uh, she's in fact in Knives Out, too, which right. is funny. Um, um, and she was in On the Rocks, which I thought she was very good. That's the first time she stood out to me. You know, that is a movie that I saw. Yeah. And I couldn't really tell you that she's she there. plays the woman. No, that I know. Rashida I, I know who she yeah. plays. There's only five characters. Right. Like I by default. I know and she, she has plays. like a really good scene at the end of the movie. And yeah, I was like, I guess who is I this person? That. This person kind of stands out. And I looked up and I was like, oh, this is that action lady that everyone likes. She's very this is that lady that everyone said was good on Iron Fist who keeps on well, ending up on casting wish list. She was also Nim, she was Namiria Sand in Game of Thrones. She's one of the sand snakes. Okay. And those characters are are big in the books and were maybe the most sort of egregiously botched element of the show. They had this sort of vibe in the show where the show, like you could tell they were kind of like, yeah, we have to do them to some extent because sure. we know they're important, but we really don't care. Like, so they would just kind of show up and be like, we are sexy warriors. Yeah. See you later. You know, and then they all like die horribly. It's like, interesting. It, was, it felt very insulting. She's in this zone where it's like, she keeps on being like, failed parts of nerd franchises everyone's like but she's good there has to be the right jessica henwick thing at some point she's, she's great now in said this they wanted her i believe to play the sister in shang chi they did they, they, she was the first choice, and I this think, yeah. both scripts are under lock and key in secret and both projects went if you audition for one you can't do the other you could screen test for one or the other she picked this but if you take the other you, you're out of consideration and you're not even guaranteed the job right. she picked this um because i think she's She's, well, whatever. She's perfect for this movie. She rolls. And here are things I like about her. Her name is Bugs. You like that she's called Bugs after the bunny. Yes. 
You like that. Like the things you use to listen to people and also like the bunny. That's what she, she has says. some line like yes. that. Yeah. Uh, there's also the scene where Neo wakes up in the real world for the first time in this movie and he's being operated on in the slab and she goes, what's up, doc, to the doctor. Great. One million comedy points. Um, I'm a big fan of Bugs's fashion. I think the yeah. pants in the opening sequence rule. Her glasses? Do you yeah. like her glasses? You Love her glasses. line in the middle. The sunglasses, right. There's the line in the middle like of the bridge of the arms that extends in front of the lenses. Totally. Yeah. Great. I would say one of the standout uh, characters as far as fashion. And this is a, another big thing is that I think part of what people were hoping for in a return to the matrix was like man the matrix is so fucking cool uh, these people are so steely and badass and unflappable and sexy and confident and bugs is a lot more uh emotional open childlike vulnerable than matrix characters we've seen before that's true bugs is yes is it's true is is a different and she kind of acknowledges that and in this early scene she sort of also acknowledges like Jokely, like the silliness of the binary choice right. of the pills, which we'll get into. Already, and, this movie's no, you're deflating right, you're right. shit. She's not like Trinity, where Trinity is like fucking an icicle, like right. so cool. And like, it's not that Carrie Ann Moss doesn't play the vulnerability, like yeah. she's afraid of the agency, you know, but still, like, she's just like the most badass. And Bugs is jokier and yeah. not jokey in a way that no, bothered me not at all. Quippy. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Not. I don't think this really ever ventured into they fly now territory. Yeah. You know, like I, I saw some complaints with some of the dialogue and I was sort of like, maybe there's a moment or two where it gets cutesy. But anyway, look, I, and I will talk around spoilers here for this other movie that we're not talking about today. But you and I were, were text exchanging after No Way Home and complaining uh-huh. about the fact that they, they comedically deflate some of the legacy characters they bring back in a way that is very of a piece with the MCU and their sense of humor, which is we're going to make the joke about the thing before you can. Sure. Right. 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 We're going to deflate like, it. This so thing that yeah, Marvel's weaponized us. developed through Downey Jr.'s improvs and Favreau and Whedon and now like perfected to a point is like, we're doing the mad magazine parody of ourselves while also doing the real movie. So you can't say that we're not in on the joke and it feels very defensive. And it is a thing that even if I laugh at the joke, when it happens, Five seconds later, very often, I go, bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> you sold out the integrity a little bit. Sure. Whereas I feel like the, the comedic deflations that this movie does through to like Morpheus going like blah, 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 and yeah, things like he does that, that. That's true. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think, to me, do not read as like. Insulting or deriv- uh, derogatory towards the original movies and the fans' experiences of them. I think it's more talking about the process of things getting repeated over That's and over think, and over right. again. It's sort of like it how, deepens it for me. How a do you bit. possibly repeat something that is so painted into people's right. brains right. without it feeling silly? Anyway. Bugs is that's why because even love, just her watching this and going this is wrong. I've she's seen watching this scene a bunch of times. Essentially, before. what looks like a kind of like fan made right. version of the Matrix, and your brain's breaking already. Like, this, at this is point. basically right. it, but the actors are different, and like there's something a little off. Why about is it the a different actor? Are they the trying to make me different. think this is the same person? And she's saying, why would they use old code? Like, right. it's the, you know, and you're you know. like, why is she? She's seen this multiple times. Like the logic of it is so confusing. And then uh, what's this character's name? Who's like the new? Seek. Uh, what's his name? Seek. His name is Sequoia. 
They call him Seek. Uh, they call him Seek, which sort of sounds like Zeke, but it's Seek, S-E-Q. Sure. That's He's why played by Toby Onwamere, who's on uh, season who two is the replacement for Amal Abdi- I mean, Van Damme. In uh, he's Kephas, right? In in Sensei, but he is like so much fun, right? He's, he's physically he's showing the operator, up in the space, but because of the uh, way the Matrix has evolved, right? Then he's not just on the phone; he can like digitally sort of video conference. So even in. that improvement rules. I got it, so I excited. Think I think it's so cool. I, yeah, I the love, hacker is finally he's in the space. I know. It's cool. I love it's the cool. original movies, but it is amazing when you watch them. Like how uh, how much of the footage in those sequences are cutting to either Marcus Chong or Harold Perrineau in a chair looking at screens going like, holy shit, what? Are you okay? You know, he's doing it. It's, it's kind of helpful to just sort of have them there. It helps. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So he's there. It's, uh, it's cool and it's fun, but, but this is like, we are in, you're in back to the future part two territory where you're Mm. like, we're watching characters watch the first movie and comment on it and try to change it or exist around it. Um, So we are in a modal. Is what we learn. They mention this. You and must this have, is, my, is this the first time you pop moved. a boner mm-hmm. when they say the word modal? Not to be gross. My dick. But no, but it is. This is like some fucking serif as a login screen shit. Uh, that look. Absolutely. I was you're very like, excited doing that they computer were expanding. Logic. Right. The sort of computer logic. Of the <laughs> yes. So we're in a modal, yeah. which as far as I know in programming is really just a term for like a window in a window. Like it's just okay. like a sort of program in a program. But they specifically have it mean here like this is like. It's kind of a like training a sim demo. for programs. Right. It's like a demo, right? right? It's like something where it has very limited uh, parameters. It's really it seems to be sort of like a city block. Yeah, it's basically the first scene of the Matrix, right. although it's a little off. And you have a Trinity, and you have some agents, and you have some cops. Now, all know. the agents we've seen have always been incredibly uh, patrician-looking. Sure, right, right. Clean-cut white dudes is Yahya Abdul Mateen the second who we know in this movie is not going to be just playing an agent. Right. And you're just like, agents don't look like that. Sure. They're always white. They but always have the hair split to the side. What? If I didn't know that he was like, say I'm walking in blind. Sure. I might see that and be like, sure, there could be a black agent. Who cares? Right. Like, you know, of course you could like of course, 20 years his on. His performance is already different. His energy is different as he he's, walks he's in. Doing even when he, agent Smith, even he's when he's saying the lines, the yes, but there is something sort of arch about it. And you're like, hmm. And different than the arch that is part mean, of like, the de rigueur style. I am locked in. I am Me watching too. this and I'm like, oh, yeah. absolutely. I know what's going on. And, you know, I watched this with my wife last night on HBO. And she was like, what the, what, what the fuck is going on? I also feel like so much of the marketing. Which was fine. The marketing fine kind complete. of centered the Morpheus of it all more than the Bugs of it all. Where Bugs is kind of more Definitely. key to the movie. Obviously, because he's got the aesthetic that's very recognizable. He's sort of dressed like Morpheus. And he's this like new fucking bald, rising yeah. star. He's big, the dude right, fucking big hot rules. Guy. I love him. But um, it's funny that he has this and Candyman in the same year. Yeah. Which it's are true. both Two this sort of like, is revival. he replacing the guy or is it's he true. playing a different version of the guy? That's true. Um, and he also was Dr. Manhattan, of course. Uh, where it's almost a similar thing. Where it's yeah, like, no, it's, is, it is he or is, is he, he the same character? Is he a or not? simulation or simulacrum? Uh, which is one of the many things this film is dealing with. But um, the mystery of the Morpheus, how does this fit in? Why isn't it Lawrence Fishburne? Why is it a younger guy? Is that just some in joke about the fact that they want to do the Michael B. Jordan movie? What is this? The film like reveals its hand like six minutes in. She gets in the room with him that is now they're in the set as if you're on a Warner Brothers studio First, backlot tour. He pops her into the key 
Call back to my boy, the I key turned, master. I turned to Ben. I know yeah. like, that's a lot. Keymaker, sorry, sorry. Uh, Spread master. I, I, I do got, want. I, I do want to shout up. out at one point on the blank dough text thread with the Doughboys. Yeah. I think Mitch was talking about the re- reloaded or something. Someone brought up the keymaker. Mitch did this thing where he was like, "I'm watching Matrix Reloaded right now. I actually like this. I think it's pretty good." Right. And you were like. Mitch, do you know what you're saying to me? Right. I was like, don't get me started. I mean, yeah. I wasn't in a bad. I was just going to. Like, do you guys like this? And then there was just sort of some question about the keymaker. I was like, keymaker's yeah. key basically a root kit. I just sort of texted that. Right. And then like 20 minutes later, Weiger was like, it's crazy how he just said this as if anyone would know it. That's an explanation. <laughs> you lunatic. Anyway, love to see the. Yeah. He goes into the, 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 the whatever locksmith, you right. know, it empty, and he takes her into. First, a white corridor with doors, which uh-huh. we know in the Matrix is basically like programming represented. Like it's sort of like liminal state. It's blank it's, screen. It's C right. colon dash. Like it's just sort of like <sighs> the. It's just sort of like you David. Know, it's good to hear you saying this shit again. It's just the the. It's the desktop. It's yeah. the. It's from yeah. where you can go anywhere else. Yeah. And they go into yes, this set that is Thomas Anderson's room. Right. His shitty right studio apartment. Like it's part of the line queue for a Matrix ride. He's, or exactly. Part of the backlot he, yeah, tour. He's got his tag, right. his right. work tag from Metacortex. And she calls it out. She's like, "This is the, this is the room. Right. This is where Neo is like born. Basically. Right. And she's like, "What's your fucking deal? Something weird's going on." Here. And she explains that she. When she was a blue pill, her moment of awakening was she was being a window washer. I guess that was her job. And she saw Neo jumping off a building. Now, he was not in the form of Neo, but she made connection with him. And she in the saw moment the real that him. he's jumping, she right sees his true form. She sees Neo. Now, do you know this story about Lana? I don't. What story? I believe it was when she did. It was at the Glad Awards or something like that. When she won okay. some trailblazer like career award. It was one of the first time she sort of publicly spoke post-transition because she had always been very secretive about sure. her private life and sure. there have been rumors about her for a long time and she did this very emotional speech about why she felt like I need to come forward for my community to create an example for other kids who were like me right and mm-hmm. dealing with this sort of gender dysphoria and all of that and she said that when she was a very young child uh, she was uh, suicidal she had an experience where she was suicidal when she was about the age of 12 and she had a plan to I believe jump off a building mm-hmm. and when she was walking to do that she saw an old man and he locked eyes with her and they stood there in silence looking at each other for like 15 seconds and something in that exchange stopped her from doing it. And so that like, I don't know if this guy could read there. what no, was no, going right, on no, with me course, no, but it's your, or not your and he well would never think your, about it but yeah. that man saved my life. Right. And it's, it's literally the thing she's replicating here. Which is fascinating because of course the idea is and I, you know, I talked to Just people, the idea of being seen in no, that no, moment 100%. keeps you alive. And, well, no, but also it's what jolts her out of yeah. her reverie. Yes. But um and and by the way, Lana's talked about I think one of the things that sort of triggered that suicide was that when she was at school and they would like divide people into lines of boys and girls mm-hmm. that she would feel instinctually drawn to go to the girls line and the people would call her out on it and then it, it, this is all part of the the thing. Yeah. She's she sees him jump, but of course he doesn't jump. Like this is the thing that she also perceives. Blue pill he tries to jump, but the program just freezes and he is just Reset back to wherever they want him. And right. anyway. uh, I feel like people, you know, because jumping off a building is very crucial in the Matrix. It is yeah. how you prove you have kind of uh, woken up to the Matrix. You know, like that's a jump. Yes, we jumps it's, off. You know, he jumps and, and he falls. The, right. Sort of like he's not yeah. quite there yet. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And this movie is all about the fucking jump. A lot of jumping. It builds to we're going to actually take the lead. 
So that's Bugs. And Morpheus's thing, I guess, is he, well, he lives in, he, Bugs is talking about her awakening from the Matrix. Correct. He doesn't even live in the Matrix. He lives in this little box. But he, like, talks about, like, I also realized, like, I live in a computer program. Right. I have my mirror moment. Right. But I'm a program. I understand that I'm a program. I've been positioned as an agent, but I see that my true destiny is I am Morpheus. I'm Morpheus and I have to find Neo, which is sort of basically like his core programming of like, I'm I'm Morpheus and Morpheus wants to find Neo. This movie is going so fucking hard. You're telling me that Morpheus is now a computer program who was an agent who recognizes I am the second coming of the guy who recognizes the second coming of the Messiah. And to be clear, what's happening is that Neo who knows in some way that he's still stuck in a matrix mm-hmm. is making a Morpheus to get him out. Cause he knows like, well, that's how I get out of right. the matrix. Morpheus finds me. Right. So maybe if I make a Morpheus program one, yeah, he'll come find me like, you know, and it's, you know, it's half delusion. But half, also when, well, but it's not yeah. clear either. Cause I want to say in my first viewing, yeah. I, at this point up into the movie have no idea what is right. going on. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I'm like, and obviously, but it's one of those like, sort of shocking cold open things that movies always do where they're like, we'll catch up later, but here, yeah. you know, yeah, here's yeah. some action. Right. I cannot parse what's happening because she is visiting yes. the Matrix, but then a program in the Matrix. And that is but it's just, not, she's not even, she's in like a program inside the Matrix. Yeah. Right. So and once again, so the second it's primary character we meet has three identities upended within the span of one minute of dialogue where he goes, I'm a program and an agent and Morpheus. Right. And she gives him the red and blue pill. <laughs> like, that's insane. She, she does the sort of, you know, what do you want? And Can I sidebar for one second to bring up Ben's confusion? This is an on-topic sidebar. Go ahead. There's the thing I find very interesting about the first Matrix, and it's just sort of impeccable, undeniable power, right? That like 30 minutes into this movie, where the first Matrix, you forget how long it takes before they drop. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty slow build, too. Right. You are a battery. Right. Yeah. It, it took about half an hour before Romley turned to me and gave me the look and was like, am I? And I was like, you're not supposed to understand anything yet. Sure. And it, it's a very hard trick to pull off to watch a movie like that where you're engrossed and you're on board despite the fact that you have no idea what the fuck is going on and the film takes about 45 minutes to explain itself to you. Mm-hmm. This movie is doing the opposite, which is explaining a lot to you up front and hoping you will eventually be able to process it all. Put it together, yeah. Right. That's true. It does. And I am eagerly like cramming the info Same. it's giving me into my mouth, but yeah. some people are maybe like, well, I, like what? You know, I think it's very understandable to be sort of like, yeah. What's the difference between this and the Matrix? What's the difference between this Matrix and old Matrix? I just like, can't you know. see the walls. I can't right. see the parameters. You know, I do- fucking blue pill. That's why. Well, I, I do take a blue pill every day. <laughs> Viagra. So after this, <laughs> yeah. and, and right to me, but I'm like, oh, I'm very intrigued. Where I'm like, wait, oh, you know, she gives the pills and he, there's this, Again, right. <laughs> deflation of the pills are who fucking gives a shit. The choice and illusion. Well, you know I think it's important yeah. and interesting that Lana Wachowski wants to say, like, perhaps a binary choice is a bit simplistic. Yeah. I think it's funny on multiple levels that she's Especially when about that. red pill as an idea has become this. Well, right. Yeah, that we're getting but to that. One of many but, things um, this movie's talking about. Yeah. But uh, but as she says, like, look, when you're getting offered the pills, you probably already know what you want. You know, yeah. like, you know, at that at that point, it's really like, you know, 
what's Neo going to do? Be like, yeah, I do feel like something's really wrong with the world and I don't understand my place in it. But you know what? <laughs> like, I'm not I, I'm not going to sign any more documents here. I'm going right. to go. I know we're about halfway in the movie, but I'm good. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Just, it just plays uh, out. It's kind of boring, whatever. So 10 minutes in, we finally get to Thomas Anderson. Right. So then we've had this one glimpse of Keanu in uh, Bugs's memory. Now now we're with Thomas Anderson. The first act of the movie is him. He is a computer programmer, computer game programmer. He's in office filled with Matrix memorabilia. He literally has the McFarlane action. He's got the toys, squids, he's got the statue of the Smith getting punched, which I think was a crew gift that everyone had from the sequel. He's got a Game of the Year award, too. He's got, you know, you're like, oh, okay, Neo's a fucking nerd. Right. He's a Silicon Valley guy. He's living in San Francisco. Beautiful. But he's in an office that's obsessed with his past. Sure. And he is the, a, the cultural shadow of the one thing he created. He's working on a new game called Binary, but he is yeah. the famous programmer of a trilogy of games called The Matrix. And it, he feels like one of these guys. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I can say a specific example where it's like, here's someone who is so foundational to the creative firmament of this company or this property or whatever it is, but they maybe kind of lost it and they haven't been able to replicate it. And we keep them on payroll, A, out of respect, and B, out of the hope of what if they fucking figured it out again and delivered another home run, right? Right. But he's just sort of noodling on shit. Uh, Keanu, I feel like, is in this movie kind of playing sad Keanu meme, right? Because John Wick has become this new gravitas version of Keanu. There's that period that everyone forgets about between like Matrix sequels and John Wick mm-hmm. when he starts to dip out where like his prominent cultural role was a photo of him sitting on a bench eating a sandwich and being like, what the fuck is up with this guy? He looks sad, sad Keanu. Right. He says he was just hungry. He looks like a bum. <laughs> yeah, he looks kind of right. like a bum, yeah. But but also Keanu, uh, like, um, had horribly tragic things happen to him in his life at that period of time. What? Not then. What, 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 what happened then? I mean, his girlfriend died a long time ago. That was way before. It was after the Matrix sequels. Well, yeah, but no, that, that photo is not that old. The sad kid. I'm saying in the 15 year span. Okay, sure. But he's hungry. There's I don't want pro- to pro- project too much on that photo because he has been very anti. I'm not projecting on, that photo. on the photo. Right. He's I'm just like, saying. I was hungry. I'm just saying. Yeah. There, there is a tragicness to Keanu that I think this film is foregrounding. Sure. Right. There, he's playing very broken. I, I really like his performance. His performance in this film is excellent. I think it's excellent. I say this especially is, in the first chunk where he yeah. has the most acting to do. And the, yes. you know, then he's more, you know. I say this well, is someone who really feels like he has lost a, a uh, substantial amount of identity in the last two years in isolation on top of mental stability and all of that. Mm. It, this performance really, really fucking resonated mm. with mm. me. His sort of unmoored quality. And I do think you talk about the awakening aspect of the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Like the this world feels wrong. See the strings, whatever. Yeah. Right. But so much of that, and it's tied to the Wachowskis and their own journey of discovery and whatever, is like, I feel wrong. I recognize that things around me feel weird, but it's right. like, there's a form I should be taking that I'm not yet. And he's just playing it not too, like, dramatically. Like, there's a little bit of humor to what he's, he's doing. numb. He's right. got that thing where he's sort of like overly medicated and he's sort of in a bubble. and A little foggy. Foggy, yeah. right. And like... Everyone around him in the movie treats is, him like a child because they're worried. A little bit treating like Egg Shelley. Try right, to kill like, himself again. But also yeah. is kind of like is dialed to a 
hundred. It's very yes. crucial in this movie that the first act of the movie is, and you really notice in a rewatch, very loud. Everything yeah. is loud. The dialogue, you know, people are chattering all the time. The energy like, of performance. The energy of performance is very up. Other but than also, Carrie like, Ann there's Moss. a lot of music. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of flashing lights. You know, a like, lot of colors. He, she, Wachowski, really wants that moment where Niobe is like, "Do you remember this?" Yeah. And it's quiet to really hit. And it yeah. really works in the theater, in my opinion. I Less so on it. Agree. You know, just hardcore. it's really silence in a theater is yeah. so powerful because everyone's kind of like, wait, is she gonna say something? You know, like everyone's kind of like hanging to see what she's gonna do. Anyway. But but when people you know are disappointed that the movie doesn't look like the Matrix, doesn't have the green tint, the precision, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, which is fair. It's a fucking rad aesthetic. I understand wanting to see that again. It's also part of the text of this film that it's like. The Matrix has changed. Our notion of what computers could do and artificial intelligence and virtual reality and all that stuff used to be more clinical, right? It used to be uh, The internet used to be a freaking database. Right. Like, in 1999, when The Matrix is made, the internet is like a resource more than anything. Like, to the extent that it has discourse, it's so tiny. And also, it's like little tiny communities of people who know how to be all, online. All these concepts are banal now. And so much of technology is trying to figure out ways to virtually replicate banalities in, in so many ways, right? You look at the fucking Zuckerberg metaverse video and it's like what he's pitching of like in metaverse, you get to hang out in a rainbow place and you can talk to each other. It's a way to virtually have a conversation through virtual avatars it's no longer this sort of like badass fucking thing. The, the world of the first 45 minutes of this movie is very metaverse, right? It's like... It, it's, but it's very... I really just think she's really trying to d- just talk about how it feels to be online right now. Which yes. is what, what obviously the big analyst monologue is about as well. Like, and then know, how, brands having casual Twitter accounts where they're like... Right, they're like, go TFW, off, you know, right. you put your whole bussy into this. Right, that's like the, the, the fucking you know, Jude double character feels like that. Right, all these people... Jude, are, yeah. uh, who is played by, I want to... Because uh, I didn't know that actor, um, Andrew Lewis Caldwell. Okay. Do you know him? No. He was, you know, he's he's doing what the movie wants, obviously, sure. which is this sort of, I guess he's mostly he's on iZombie, apparently. Okay. You know, but he's like big. He's really big, and he's also like kind of like a parody of not just a Matrix fan, no, like, but just like a genre fan, right? Where he's yeah. just, you know, ah, blah, 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 but also kind of like, oh, I know, I know, I know. I, too much, too much. And too much also like, you know, this like kind of like this weird self-awareness. Movie, yeah. Comic relief character that exists today who mostly exists to deflate shit and be like, what the fuck? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Right. But he and sticks out. He doesn't seem real. He doesn't seem like a real fucking person. None of this he feels doesn't, real. None of it the, feels quite real. I love is, that Neo is... It's a is, different type of artificiality than totally we're used right. to. Things have to feel wrong in a different way. I said this in my review, but 1999, you know, it's the idea of the end of history, right? Where it's like, yeah. is it like over? Like, have right. we just... There just won't... It's pre-9-11. It's sort of like, has America just kind of become what it is and we'll just kind of make money and have our jobs and nothing more is going to happen like we've kind of reached this peak and then of course 9-11 happens and everything is completely different after but like there's this moment in the late 90s where that's the existential horror right fight yes. club is about that american right. beauty is about that like you know a lot of those movies from right around the this matrix is, is very much about and that. this is about a certain numbness i do think the fact that this movie its premise was born out of grief is very important because i do think this movie is about depression 
in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. Whereas the first movie is sort of about identity, right? And figuring out who you're supposed to be. It's about that, but it is about existential of course. despair. Or, you know, but like, there's, I, there's I a feel, numbness. You know, like, this world is real. Like, you know, yeah. There's a numbness to Neo and Tom Anderson in this movie, both in the simulation. As much as things feel wrong, it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm just dead inside now. Well, right. Neo and even is when just he kind of up, like, it was like, what was the fucking point of any in, of this? In the first movie, Neo is like, there has to be more. Like, he's that's hungry. why I'm searching. Because like, right. this can't be it. Yeah. Right. And in this movie, he's like, well, I guess it wasn't that because they tell me that's made right. up. So I guess I'll just fucking, you know. And he's, Things I love that might he's just successful. Suck. Like in the yeah. first movie, he's a little, you know, cog in a machine, right? He's yeah. just like a. He's a little, he's Dilbert. He's, he goes to his cubicle and his boss yells at him. He takes the pills. Right. right. But no, but no, I'm he saying He takes a movie, shit. Oh, oh. In, this movie, in this movie, yeah. he's not a cog. He's yes. the fucking king of the world. Right, and everyone's waiting on him. And he's just kind of like, I, I don't enjoy this he's at all. He's in a Lana like, Wachowski position where people are going, what's the new Matrix? Absolutely. And it's just like, I don't know what the fuck to do with myself. He kind of gets what Joey Pants' character wants. Yeah, he, that's the, yes. that. A lot of people had theories on that of like, is he... Now, like, you know, Mr. Regan, like, is he literally sure. what, uh, Joe, you know, Cypher was asking for? That's like, he got inserted in. Yeah. Oh, because he wants to be rich and famous. I want to be, I want to be someone important, like an actor. But That's not Cypher's remember line. anything. But and I don't yeah, want to remember anything. Rich. And obviously he eats a steak. Yeah, I was going to say, know, you have a fucking like, steak shot. You know, they, they, it's all, I feel like it's all basically just sort of referential. It's not yeah. like supposed, but you know, like that's all right. He that got, white rabbit sequence rules. I think the yeah. remix of the song, it's so fucking the effective. The thing with cool. the song is so clever where it's like, it's using the original song, mm -hmm. right. but then it has those things where instead of hitting the chorus, it just kind of stops for a minute and goes, just sort of repeats that, you know, and the, yeah. the, the sound stop, the, the vocal stop for a second. And you're just like, he's fucking stuck on a treadmill. Like he is. Depression. Yeah, he, this is never any. Yeah, it's, but it's a specific kind of depression where the world is loud rather than quiet. Right. Or like the well, world is bright and assaultive rather than dead. Look, and, that is know. how I felt in isolation. Being alone, quiet in an apartment and feeling like the entire world was screaming at me. Not me in particular, but the entire world was screaming, yeah, which it was the, in so many ways. The internet is very loud. The things. internet is loud. The state of the world is loud. And even just, it, it, there was a thing that was a recurring problem I had in the worst of lockdown when I was not seeing anybody leaving my house. I was not really uh, socializing outside of doing fucking live streams and podcast episodes. Otherwise, I would never even speak out loud most days, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I was sort of stuck in this rut of like this montage of what you're seeing him do, the routines where it's like, how do I change up my day? I make fucking coffee, you know, I take a shit. And then the, the repetition of the pills over and over again. Mm -hmm. I had a problem at the worst, the peak of, you know, 12 months into lockdown or whatever, where my medication I take nightly for depression, anxiety, I could never remember whether or not I had taken the pills already. Yeah. The old, did I wash my hair today or not? The old sort of, yeah, that weird but it feeling would be of like, like, I have it on my nightstand next to my bed. I get into bed. And you'd be like, did I do it yet? Or... Did I just right. do Did it? I just do this? This I, is this is familiar. I right. could not remember if I had done it 30 seconds ago or if I was replaying a memory from the night before. Because you're just doing the same shit every day. So yeah, this movie's it. starting to hit me really hard at this point. Like mm -hmm. I'm just like, fuck, this is speaking to the way I've been feeling for the last two years. This atrophy of this character who's in a position where it's like, look, I'm in a tremendous amount of privilege. I can't say my life sucks. That's the whole, that's what I think is so clever. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's a bad. superstar. Right. Is like everyone's fawning all over him, and he's just sort of like, mm. 
I feel dead inside. And everyone's like, look, if you have a next thing, come up with it. If not, do whatever you want. And he keeps on noodling. You talk about how he creates the modal because he's hoping that Morpheus will come and speak to him. I also read it. I don't think these are mutually exclusive things as much like Lana being just driven in her grief to go back to those characters. Mm -hmm. He was like, I want Morpheus kicking around somewhere. Yeah, right, 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 right. Like right? That, those were the good old days. Like the, yeah, me and Morpheus. Like that's when we were figuring stuff out. That's when there was growth, when there was progress. But when even there was if he believes that he just created Morpheus as a fictional character, it's like, look, I probably shouldn't make a fourth game. That's like fucking with my yeah. legacy. But it'd be nice to just have a program running on my computer where I can look and the sets there and the, you have that opening sequence and Morpheus is there. It's it's the memory palace of like Fuck, right. This is why nostalgia exists. We talk a lot about it being a poison, especially as we're recycling the same pop culture over and over again. But there clearly is some value to it. If we use it deliberately in these things that stick to us so much that we cannot give up, there has to be power in returning to these characters. We can't just redo the same sequence over and over again. Mm. But if something has been able to last for 25 years and it's a thing you can return to that gives you joy or comfort or clarity on your own sense of existence, then is it cheap to go back to that? And I say no if you're doing something new. At the same time, right in all this that we're talking about, there is a scene where he is summoned to talk to his boss, the the, the money man, who's played by Jonathan Groff, who Uh is Smith. Yes. And who very right at the start of the movie has this line of like, well, Warner Brothers, our our parent company is demanding we make a fourth Matrix and they'll do it without us. I know you said you were done after the trilogy. Right. But they have the sort of specificness of like they can do it without us. And Neo's like, I thought that wasn't possible. And he's like, well, I was, you know, you know. I have read many takes from people who tap out at that exact moment. Because they're like, the movie is telling me that it shouldn't exist. And that they're being forced to make this movie at gunpoint. Truly. And now I am like, where am I again? Where am I? Who Mm -hmm. who is Neo? I knew him to have died. Yeah. Mm. Now he's back. But what is this reality? Again, I have no, I cannot figure out where the fuck I am. Right. And the movie's like very much like throwing a cold bath on you with this stuff. And like, I, whereas I was just like, that's so funny one that, it's in the movie. It's funny. The Warner Brothers is yeah. like, yeah, sure, whatever. Fucking throw us under the bus. Who cares? Um, but to that, like, that's like, you know, Smith, Smith. So Smith is part of Neo, I guess. You know, we, we have to talk. We'll talk. It's so complicated. And Smith is the person that people ask me the most questions about having yeah. seen the movie where they're like, I don't understand his role in Neo. But like, he's Neo's bad side. He's Neo's most fatalistic, most cold eyed, most cynical side in this movie. Right. So, like, when he's saying that stuff, he's not saying that is the thesis of the movie. No. But he's certainly expressing the, like, look, there's a bit of a rock and a hard place situation here. Do you want to make another Matrix or do you want, you know, faceless executives to make it? Well, I think there's another thing going on, David. Go ahead. Which is Agent Smith has now been reborn in the body of the studio executive. Uh, Right? the, The executive. I wouldn't even say studio because he's also really giving like tech bro. Like, you know, right? Like he's like, whereas Smith in 1999, he's a G man. Obviously he's the, you know, this guy in a suit who's supposed to look anonymous with sunglasses. And now it's like, right. uh, Shoes, no socks, kind of simpering, 
kind yes. of corporate speak, you know, all that. More personality, though, too. Lots of, but like yeah. a personality that kind of puts you on edge for yeah. you. Like, is this guy like a total phony? Right. Like, wait, does he care about anything? But that's performance. It, I think an incredible textually, performance. Textually, right? And mm-hmm. you get to this point later in the movie where Smith keeps on talking about like how inextricably tied they are. Right. Right. That it like they used to think that they were rivals and they exist in opposition to each other. And in fact, they need each other to balance out. It's like this yin and yang thing, as you said, it's sort of shadow self, whatever. I I think this character, the use of it, all of that that is it, stated literally and directly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's is, not a subtle movie. Yeah, compare it to someone like Royalton in Speed Racer. Yep. Who is the evil money man saying you have to race this way. You got to do it this way, and if you don't, I'll crush you. Right. I will. You. I will mount the forces of capitalism. Right. And that to is crush the movie you. they make right after getting to make two right. hugely expensive sequels where they get away with everything. Listen they to our want. Speed Racer episode because, of course, that right. movie ends with them being like, "Art can triumph over commerce." Of course, and of course, the movie was a flop. yeah. And and she's you know always talked about in interviews like one of the reasons she stepped away and it seemed like they maybe neither of them would ever make a movie again was like I got so tired with the business aspect of the thing, with the executives, with answering to all these questions and all this sort of shit. She is a filmmaker who, aside from her first movie, has gotten to traffic in incredible budgets. Absolutely. Right? It only always works on, works on, big on a scales. scale yeah. and goes, I'm telling stories that are this expansive, that mm-hmm. I'm asking to be put mm-hmm. in thousands of screens and all of that. And I do think this movie is reckoning with, I want... I, you know, I think of myself as this precious, sensitive artist, but I've also chosen a medium that requires a tremendous amount of capital and support and a lot of people. Yeah. And I am forever yeah. beholden to these people. There's always going to be I used to think of Smith with... as a binary villain. Right. And now I realize he's part of the balance of me getting to do Absolutely. the thing I want to do. Great take. Right? Very true. I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I can think of this guy as the impediment to my creative, unfiltered brilliance, but it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't happen. Never going away. Never going away. You're not, you're not, you're right. You're never going to be able to. Yeah. No, I have to, true. I have to learn how to create some sort of right. balance in a work relationship with this person. Otherwise it's not going to happen. And the changing of Smith to a creative executive, but also Smith to less of a literal villain and more mm-hmm. of an uneasy ally mm-hmm. is so telling. I agree with that. Now, textually. Yes. I do think it is the most complicated. Because Smith has always been the most complicated element of the Matrix. If you dig into it, and I guess I can get more into this in the commentaries, but like this thing I, I found rewatching the first movie, seeing in the theater for the first time, being able to give it more focus sure. recently. I saw it for, I saw it in theaters in 1999 after buying a ticket to She's All That. I bought a ticket to 10 Things I Hate About You, and then I saw 10 Things well, I Hate About not. You, and I said, why would I see that gun movie? Right. But um, the thing, I, look, I, I knew it before, but it hit me so much harder is this idea that it's like. Smith as a program is this aberration. For some reason, sure. he's developing his own I, I, inner I, I conscious talk about thoughts mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, his distaste mm-hmm. of humanity. Mm-hmm. He has a personality that should not have developed. He's not supposed to be so angry. He's like an error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, all of that's complicated. We should acknowledge the original plan was for this to be Hugo Weaving. Well, the way this movie works, you can absolutely see the original actors playing both roles. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter that much to have new actors play the roles and it's in some ways kind of exciting part of me wonders if i would have preferred the version with hugo weaving i think what jonathan groff is doing is great but i think the rush of much like seeing thomas anderson being like what's going on here why is neo acting like this 
to see Hugo Weaving look different, have such a different vibe and be like, well, you know, Warner Brothers, like playing Hollywood asshole would have given it such uh, an uneasy power. I, I, I love Hugo Weaving yeah. and I would love to see Hugo Weaving but in this movie. It's now come out in interviews with like um, uh, James McTeague and some of the other people who worked on the movie. Uh, Mitchell did an interview recently that 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 was the the plan as written because I wasn't sure after seeing it like was I knew Hugo Weaving was in talks and then there was a scheduling problem and then he's not in it now. I was like, was he going to play him at some state or some form? Yeah, he was just going to play this. The role. original like, idea yeah. was he was going to be Smith the whole time. Yeah, yeah he was just going to be Smith. I'm sure it'd be great. He was in a play. I think COVID really messed with it too. Yes. Anyway, he's not in it. I think Groff is fantastic. And I think as part of the 20 years on plus, mm-hmm. you know, like let's consider the internet and the experience of yeah. being online now. I think Groff is a great, Groff and Neil Patrick Harris are both great expressions of those yeah. feelings. I think they're great. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing um, the shots of the original movie in a cut. And they're I feel like especially oh, that's yes. like they're introducing, they're, I mean, they're hammering it over your head that they this are. is Smith, right? And it's they a different are. actor. Absolutely. It's you're not seeing first. Them. His opening line is him saying Hugo Weaving's line, intercut. They do not hide for Oblivious. one second that he is Smith. He is Smith to the extent that people are like, wait, is he Smith? This movie is, is there a sort of a double reverse here? Like Much like not, the Morpheus like, reveal. Why are they telling me so much yeah, more than yeah. I can even process right out of the game? Um, what's going on? Here? But like, just to talk about Smith for a second. Yeah. As you say, in the first movie, he is the villain, but there is this sort of undercurrent of like, why is he more emotional about right. this? And why none of the other program characters are emotional at all. Why does he and he care? has the monologue where he takes off his earpiece and he takes like, off the glass disease, your yeah. cancer, you know, yeah. and then he's destroyed. And then the idea in the second and third movies, is he's no longer an agent. He cannot move through programs. He can't, you know, copy himself into people. Right. But he mm-hmm. now has this new thing where he spreads like a virus. He's liberated. He's, mm-hmm. he's his own thing. And I have always struggled so much with the idea because like the whole reason that Neo gets to pull off his grand truce at the end of revolutions is that Smith has taken over the matrix. Mm-hmm. And so Neo can go in there and deal with Smith in return. You're going to, you're going to be peaceful. We're going to stop the war. Sure. You know, that's the deal he makes with the machine. And the idea is like Neo is the sixth one. Like it's a thing that happens over and over again. It's built in. There'll be a one. He'll hit the end of the program. He'll see the architect. The architect will be like, you got to go back to the beginning. You're going to rebuild Zion. You know, and then he's always like, okay, I don't want humanity to die. So I'll do that. Right. And instead, of course, Neo picks Trinity. And that's why the movie continues rather than ends. Right. Yeah. Yes. Everyone's on board with this. Right? Yes. This is. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's like, I was always like, why is there a Smith? Is that part of it? Like, is there always going to be like a sort of villain agent? In this movie or in the sequels? In, in the Matrix. Yeah. Like, you know, why Why does Smith become so powerful? Well, and I, but here, uh, no, you said what you want to say and then I have my answer. And like, you know, part of it is just like, well, these movies, especially the sequels, are as much about, like, they are giving you hints that programs are evolving in weird, yeah. weird ways too. It's not just that the one is behaving differently. Yeah. Programs are doing weird things. These two programs made a child for no reason. Sure. Like, you know, sure. like, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, yeah. Smith. Yeah. He, he's, he's angry and he's weird. Like, you know, he, we don't know why he behaves this way. He's yeah. a, he's a glitch too. There's all yeah. this glitching going on. So like, that's why he's so tied to Neo, right? Like as Neo behaves unusually, Smith behaves unusually. He's, That's the, all he's the one of programs in a weird way. Yes. He's the aberration. And I always freaked out because I was always like, if there are many ones, why is there never, or why are we never hearing about other Smiths? But I think right. the idea is partly just like, well, 
even if that was a thing, yeah. Neo, or the, sorry, the one hitting the end of the program, meeting the architect, rebooting it, would just solve that problem so it wouldn't be a thing. And instead, Neo not solving that problem, he proliferates and it becomes a problem. So, so here's my take, David. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't know you had all this frustration. I have, no, to. it's not frustration. It's just like... David is now furiously rubbering just, his thighs the way that Neo does in this movie when he's talking to his therapist. Yes, right. Well, those, I feel like in those sequences, like the therapist is trying to do the thing of like, yeah. you're, in, you're real, you're you yeah. know, like, like trying to, you know. But David is truly doing those hand gestures unconsciously anyway, while talking what's about your the take? Smith of it all. I, and this speaks to this movie. As much as the first three Matrixes were, and especially because the Wachowskis barely did press, didn't explain themselves, uh, made themselves elusive, made this mythology so dense and so cool and all of this shit, right? Mm-hmm. That like you're sitting there trying to connect the pieces of like why, why, why. And I always interpreted the Smith thing as like, well, we could just have a new agent. We could have a new villain. We could have some other program act this way. So we don't have to explain why this one is so special. Mm-hmm. But man, look at that performance that guy gave in the first movie. It'd be stupid not to do that again. Sure. And right. so much like the fucking Sentinels reviving Trinity and Neo, it's like, I guess we have to figure out why it's still the same guy from the first movie. Yeah. Because I, the public wants this guy. Yeah, it's right. I mean, the analyst's take is certainly right. Like You could have hired anyone else to play any Neo other new weird agent who has his own power and not have to deal with the why he was, how it coincides yeah, yeah, with the first movie. Yeah, yeah. But it is that thing of, at some point you are somewhat beholden to the demands of not just what the people controlling the purse strings want, but what the public wants. All Things true. Borderline Again, paralyzed text- Thomas Anderson in this movie. Textually. Yes. The way Smith puts it is like, I'm like, he's like a chain around Neo. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know either. Like, Smith does not know that he is Agent Smith until that moment where he sees the gun and he reawakens and he says, Mr. Ant, you know, like that. That's the, before then, he is as locked into this as Neo is. And look, I love the movie. Yeah. And I like all its tonal goofiness. I think it was maybe a mistake to have an unbroken four minute sequence where Smith sings Fleetwood Max the Chain to Neo. Mm, should have. Well, he should have done that. What a great singer Jonathan Groff is. What's that song in Frozen 2? Out of the Woods? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he killed that. Reindeers are better than people. So, yeah. at the end of this first act, Neo is liberated. First, there's sort of a abortive effort where Morpheus tries to do the red pill, blue pill in a bathroom. Look, I know we're focusing on the first 40 minutes a lot, but... No, we're not. We're just more moving. You also have the, the Trinity meeting in the coffee shop. That's true. We should, of course, acknowledge. Right, Trinity's there. She's called Tiffany. Yeah, it's a little joke about dot tiff files. I don't know if anyone picked up on that. Dot tiff files. Dot tiff is like yeah, a, the artwork. Like yeah. yes, that's what because you know, that's what when she says later in the movie, the analyst Tiffany. He's like, it was a private joke. Like it's uh, a joke about you know yeah. tiff files. But also, she says her parents were Audrey Hepburn fans. They, yeah, Tiff breakfast. Yeah. Also, just it sounds like Trinity. There's 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 t- Trinity Tiffany. He knows he like he feels connected to her, but she's this married woman who he doesn't even know. But like, also, what's going on? She you know? feels it. She also is like playing. You know, Carrie Ann Moss is so good in this movie, and she's very good at playing the kind of like half aware, half like confused sort of like I it, do know you. This right? is a genuine criticism I have of the movie, and one mm. of the few. Okay, I I don't know how they solve this based on the way the story is structured. I do think it is possibly the movie's detriment that she isn't in the middle hour pretty much at all. Because she's so fucking good in this. She's great. And the two of them together on screen Mm. is so good. It just has that feeling of just like 
fuck, here are two people who clearly have a lot of respect for each other, a lot of love, have spent, have been in the trenches together, have gone through so much, have aged into this kind of very easy, effortless gravitas on screen. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Just from the first scene there, I, I, I just feel a charge of putting the two of them together, which is a thing this movie is talking about. It, right? It is. If we put these two pods next to each other, electricity is it's just like, created. They're like magnets. Like, if you put them both together, they'll just, they're snapped together. But so it's you have to much. keep them, the tension. Keep that tension going. I mean, he call, he refers to it as something else, right? He has a different metaphor, but it's the same idea. Uh, right. He sings Fleetwood Mac's no, he Tusk. No, fuck. Now I have to remember. He what. says they're like a Tusk. Um, <laughs> okay. While you're looking that up, one little thing I noticed on my rewatch mm-hmm. um, last night was. Um, the little like moments of the reflections where you're seeing mm-hmm. that both, you know, that Tiffany and Neo oh, have yes. different skins. Right. They, they have, have different, different appearance. Digital right. appearances just, are in the physical called, world. Reflections on the table. Which are fun, just little. Like, right. And those reflections in a cute little thing are played by, Neo's reflection is played by Carrie Ann Moss's real husband. And uh, Tiffany, uh, Trinity's reflection is played by James McTeague, who's the first assistant director's wife. And was the director of V for Vendetta. Right. You know, one of the closest collaborators. Right. Um, uh, so, which is, you know. But yes, you never get a full body shot in that kind of way. You're not doing the like heaven can wait sort of uh, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 thing where you cut back and forth between the two actors. It's always these sort of glimpse, he just, obscured reflections. He knows, he looks different. With it, right, you, know, you see them at, at little moments. And also, this movie is just fucking all in on mirrors for uh, obvious reason. It doubles down on the Alice in Wonderland that, things. That, obviously, right, mirrors are crucial. But also mirrors escape. become the transportation system in a way fully replacing phones of the first movie. Right, they, they are right. no longer going to hard lines. They, right. have, they go through mirrors. Um portals they call them which um, that shit's all there in the original trilogy but this well is obviously in the original trilogy he, the mirror shot yes. is but they right. it's not it After alice that, stuff is repeated. there here it's just straight overwhelming yeah um but yeah so morpheus attempts but you know he's still getting used to the role well the other thing is just we've had this uh christina ricci with the best agent in hollywood getting very high billing i assume that stuff was cut out but this montage of, of as we said, like... A very funny montage of the, them focus grouping the Matrix. to quantify yeah. what, what do was I like it about that... Is it the what? action? Is it the what, WTF-ness? Is it that it was so different? Is it that it was... You know, yeah. Which speaks to these things where it's like, you can't replicate these things. Tough to replicate. As much as you can talk about the decision-making process that went into making the first thing work, it's hard to synthesize it. I like the one guy in the group who's like, I never liked it. I thought it was shitty. I, right. There's that one guy who's but, just what, like, I then, just want but, action. But and the repeating that them repeating the same dialogue and they're like that guy he was wearing like the goofiest hats. Mm-hmm. Like he goes through three different outfit changes. Yeah, well, it it's very funny. It's just so disconcerting. It's disconcerting, but I feel like it's also like it's just the the feeling of being having the same conversation. Yeah. So, you know, over and over, year after year, day after day, whatever, right? Like this sort of like I don't know about uh, Lana Wachowski, if she's been in a lot of pitch meetings over, like, okay, but could right. Matrix 4 be, you right. know, like, and it's just kind of always the same. Like, but I also, what do we love about the first one? Bullet time, we love, but, you know, I also anyway. think it's an internal monologue thing of Absolutely. like, how do I how, go back to the Matrix? How is there another one of these? How do we, how do we make it different? Right. How do do we, I need to one up bullet time or do I need to do bullet time again or do I have to run away from both impulses? Freema Adjaman, of course, is mm-hmm. one of the people in this boardroom. One of like eight sensei, a lot cast of sensei members. cast members in this movie. In this? Love to see them. Yeah, 
Um, and of course, there are also these scenes with Neil Patrick Harris as Neo's blue uh, glasses frame wearing psychiatrist, the, the analyst, analyst, who is very much like, look, you're just, you're not crazy, but mm-hmm. you're projecting, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. There's something to, in terms of just the difference of vibe of what this new Matrix is like, that uh, uh, Smith and the analyst, the two main protagonists in this film, are both played by uh, openly gay men in Hollywood Mm -hmm. uh, who are pretty traditionally handsome. Yeah, yeah. And have uh, uh, overabundance of uh, Broadway experience. Uh, Very much so, yeah are like great singers can be like very clean, all ages entertainer performers, you know, it's just, it's an interesting energy Mm -hmm. that they're bringing versus like someone like Hugo weaving. Uh, absolutely. Hugo weaving, of course can do anything. There's a softness to both of them that, that they both are certainly very capable of adding menace to that. This is the whole thing with Neil Patrick Harris, as much as he, you know, he's, I think he's very good in this movie, like using what people don't like about him Correct. or what people find off, you know, yes. putting about him as like a weapon, like, which I also think he does very well in Gone Girl. That's like, my, I mean, it's, he's a good actor. Like, I, I think the movie is consciously using the fact that these are like two incredibly woke, likable, progressive guys. And Absolutely. being like, is yeah. there something too clean about these guys? Right. Like, is is sure. it upsetting how cute and adorable and lovable they are? Yeah. Now I just want to say because I think we should keep moving along. Just yeah, again, we only have two to, more hours. To right. Cover. No. Right. Seriously. But to speak to just my first viewing experience, let's just now say that we're we're watching. You know, you're watching along to this movie again, and Neo is like kind of this like like wimpish kind of dork, and he's in therapy, and I'm just like, what what the fuck is going on? Yeah, and now it. I'm like literally right. watching this hero like kind of complain to his therapist. Right. It's I, we're forty five minutes into the movie. I everything that's turning you off, I'm like, yep, 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 what? yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. you don't like that. Nom nom nom. Oh, nom, nom, nom. I mean, I've now come around Whatever. to you it because that character is really interesting, and I yeah. want to get to the second part of the movie because of True. all the new shit that we're about so, to start so talking. about. Morpheus comes to there's a failed, uh, you know, wake up Neo moment where right, Morpheus is just too loose. He's yep. still getting used to it. He he can't even dress properly for the Matrix. He's like so freed up in the fact that he's like, I don't have to be a Smith anymore. Right. He's wearing now, really bright clothes. As as Ben would say, he's throwing fits. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. And, 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 he's, and a he's too loose. He's stepping out of a bathroom stall yeah. and he's trying to do Morpheus dialogue, and then he's like, ah, too much, right? I don't you know. know. So that doesn't work. There's this big shootout. That's where Smith wakes up Kinda in the plays office. This whole sequence so well. He's I, really funny. Really funny. Like really funny at being offered the pills and being like having the reaction of like I can't be doing this to myself again. You know, that's of course yeah. what his fear is. It's like oh god, I'm slipping into the the Matrix is real yeah. reverie again. Like you know, he has a look when Smith is pointing the gun to his head that looks like a dog that's confused. <laughs> Yeah, right. Where it's not even like he's afraid for his life like, or that oh, he wants boy. to die, but he's just genuinely kind of like perplexed by everything going on around him. And then you have this sequence, a thing that I think this film visualizes really well. And it doesn't do it in an incredibly complicated way. But I've talked about this before in the podcast. One of the uh, side effects at the most extreme of my states of uh, anxiety or depression, things I've struggled with my entire life, is I can have disassociative episodes mm-hmm. where your sense of like time and personhood and your uh, existence within your own body essentially like I would describe it as my brain pushes the eject button. And sure. I 
have a hard time differentiating between like what is in my head and what's actually happening. I need to just like lie down and close my eyes and listen to music mm-hmm. until I feel placed again. And the transition between the gunfight into just now he's in the therapist's office sure, right. is really clever. Very often what that feels like for me. Right, right. Where he's, it's like I, I have the moment before I can start to feel my brain getting loose. And then there's the moment where I feel like things have settled. And no. the stuff in between, I'm like, I don't totally know if that happened or not. And that's the trick they're pulling. The, yeah. the, the, it's like, yes, they're doing the Matrix thing of like, the, you see the cat, deja vu. They're right. actually just reworking the programming. And they're just like, okay, fucking shut it down. Put him in the analyst's office. We're going to reset his brain a little bit. I also but, just want to say the bullet time, quote unquote, in this movie, which people are like, it doesn't look cool anymore. The bullet time really, really fucking feels like how it feels in the present when I'm having a disassociative episode. I think the bullet time looks cool. Um, but, but we'll you know talk what I'm about it. Where it's like... I know what you're saying. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, shit. I, I lost my train of thought. It's okay. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, so he... But he... Whatever. He the reset liberated. back to the room. Things are going wrong. Never mind. Whatever. Right. Sorry. And then he gets re... How do they even get him out in the end? Like... Oh well, he's he's gonna go throw himself off a building again, right? And right. that's where Bugs makes right. he goes Bugs to the gets with a bunch like, of okay. Morpheus gets liquored up. Morpheus is how we found you, but maybe Morpheus is not ready for prime time for <laughs> right, right. So Bugs, Bugs is the one. She has the white rabbit on her arm. Mm-hmm. She's making the appeal of like you spoke to me and you know unknowingly you woke me up. You know, come on, you know, you know this isn't gonna work. Like in your heart of hearts. Like, you know, that just fucking getting drunk and jumping off a building. You know, this, they're not going to let you do that. They're just going to put you right back on the trip. Also, Lana is wrestling with bad fandom and the amount of people who have misinterpreted her film, right? Especially as time goes on. And even just a month after Matrix came out, everyone was blaming Columbine on the Matrix down to today, the Red Pill movement, all these fucking things that were out of her control. I saw someone tweet, and I'm sorry I'm not giving them credit here because I forgot who it was, but like um, uh, Lana Wachowski made The Matrix. Everyone's been misinterpreting it for 25 years, and she has decided to not be subtle at all since then. Right. When people talk about her movies being too loud or blunt or obvious or earnest or goofy or whatever, it's just like, I think there's this fear of, I don't want to be misinterpreted ever again mm. because people mm-hmm. keep on turning the matrix right. into I wanna, their own I want to yell at the camera what I'm thinking. Absolutely. Right. Sure, sure. And I think Bugs is this uh, antidote to that where she's like, I know you're worried about what this thing you made is and what it caused and whether it's worth going back to that or not. I'm someone whose life you genuinely saved. And it spoke to me and I understood it. Right. And doesn't that counterweigh the thing a little bit? Isn't it worth saying what you want to say if even one person can actually be positively affected by it? Because you can't control the other people out there who are going to fucking do whatever they do. Right. And it's this other thing I love about the movie, which is when Neo wakes up and he's just like, I solved the whole Matrix thing. What the fuck is this? Oh, sure. Well, what he feels like... None of this was worth it. And she's like, everything changed and also it didn't. It's both at the same time. I guess so. Everything did change, though. He's wrong. He is wrong. He feels emotionally that nothing has changed because the world looks the same to him. But he's wrong. Everything did But this is the point. Everything changes and nothing changes at the same time. Okay, so now Mm. can you talk... I think in the world, in our real world, I think that is often I understand understand what you're saying. I'm I'm too deep in the Matrix to to agree with you. But so now, can you talk about, is it symbionts? 
What do they refer to the robot race? That's what they call it. Yeah, but they're they're machines. They, they're machines. But they don't want to be called that anymore because I guess that's a baby. Uh, right. And yeah. this whole idea of the Lumen two sides. So, right, right. Where it's like, okay, in the My old days there was gosh. the machine city and there was the you know the free humans, Binary. right? Right, right. And now there are still kind of two sides. It seems, but it's more just sort of a, you know, a pro matrix and anti matrix, and like so now machines. Right. Uh, are living with humans. Programs have figured out how to live in the real world by turning into ball-bearing people. Right, the you binary know. was uh, one has to... Flesh versus metal, you know, right. Win. Yeah, yeah. We have to exist in opposition to each other. Right. And it's like, right, as you said, it could be warring ideologies without the lines being divided by species, as it were. Right. And uh, we meet those three characters, and what I think is so amazing mm-hmm. is they're basically... They're introducing them. They risk their lives, right? One of them to save him. When, like, when the Neo robots is, are, are are have life, they have consciousness, right? When like, Neo is spirited away from his pod, that's one of them. One of these, Sabebe, Sabebe, is right. Is sort of sticking the his neck out, I guess. And I don't know if it was just my interpretation, but I'm watching it and I'm like, this is such a, an echo of his first awakening sequence, right? In the first Obviously, movie. Right. He's unplugged. He's in the red uh, pod. You know. This movie's been doing echoes before, but they're Symbians. usually twisted and then intercut with the original for comparison. And this just feels like you're doing the same scene again. And I'm watching it and plot wise going, how did Bugs and the crew fuck this up so badly? He's waking up in the pod and he's getting like surrounded by these robots. Sure. How do they not have someone there for him? So the twist of, no, the robots who you're used to are the threat. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they have to pull the plug and flush them out and send them down the tube. Yep. Are actually here to protect They're them. Here as to, you said. Here to help. The second they land back on the ship, you look back at these robots who five minutes ago seemed like threats. They, they look like the squid. They, they're somewhat right. squiddy. You know, they got red eyes. And you're and like metal. the nobility of what they just did. Hell yeah. yeah. As you said, the risk. You guys are cute. Luminate, right? That's one. Uh, Lumin- which one is Luminate? Luminate's, Luminate's the little guy. The little one. With which Ryan. also feels like a funny commentary on kind of like, just put a little cute character right, in the fucking right, movie. Right. Octocles obviously <sighs> has multiple arms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then I feel like there's another Sabebe. one. Well, it's a baby. Well, but and I feel the fourth like one fourth. Is, is Niobe's, the butterfly. That's sort of right. One. That's the one right, who looks right. like the abyss aliens. Right. But what's so helpful about this for me is it just, it also kind of, I feel like answers a question a little bit that you don't get necessarily. I feel like I might be wrong on the franchise. Of course, David, you would correct me. But it's like this whole thing of like, all right, well, what are the robots doing on the planet itself? Right. Like, okay, the Matrix, they designed it's this program, it's running, humans are mm-hmm. in it. But what the fuck are the robots doing on the planet other than life. just... They live their life. But, yeah, but the, what is their life? Yeah, see, I agree with Ben. They're, what are they, what, it's just a bunch of fucking, fucking towers like of like power. And then what? what's the point of staying on? Because they're not just robots, they're artificial intelligence. Right? They are. This is the thing that's yes. baked into it. So you, the, the first three movies never interrogate, really. And I'm not saying this is The Animatrix flaw. does, but the, the movies don't. The Animatrix does, yeah. agree. But the first three movies... Do not really interrogate the internal life of the robots who are so desperate to stay alive I and remain dis- dominant. I disagree, and I'm now going to talk. I'm oh. not saying that as a flaw, but I like that this movie sets up the idea of like, there are robots who could go like, huh, maybe this life doesn't make that much sense. Maybe we want to help people. They're not just drones. Absolutely. But here's what we see in the first three movies. We see two kinds of beings. We see squids, which are drones. Those are, it seems relatively non-autonomous. Yes, the yes. Okay. 
where they are just, they're yes. basically living weapons. Right. But then we see computer programs in the Matrix, yes. such as Ramakandra, who made a child, Sati. Like, that, and like that is going on in the in sequels where the, you're, there is the, these hints that like there are programs that don't want to just do what they're supposed to do, right? You know, this feels so good. Explore to have David explaining the matrix. Like, well, again. we're going to do it on the commentaries, but explore emotion or whatever, you know. And like that's so much of the sequels. And also, there are programs like the Merovingian and the Exiles who have fully pieced out of the matrix. They have to live in the matrix, but they live, you know, outside of its walls and are, you know, they they're doing their own thing. They have a fucking sex club. Agreed. That's fun. Sex club. Now we don't see life in the machines. That's what we're talking about. But that's because that is inscrutable in those movies. Sure. You know, we, we, we never get Agreed. to it. Now, but what happens? I like that it becomes scrutable. Well, in this a film. little bit. You see, well, you see them in IO, not in you, you know. Sure. Like, just FYI, you know, the Machine City, as we all know, the main Machine City, because we've all watched the Animatrix, is called what? What's it called? I forget. It's called Zero One. Okay. Which of course is binary for like you know that's like the first binary sure character. So IO is one zero. IO Debris. Um, you know, IO. Yeah, so, no, so it's like, good. But we don't see what's going on in the machines. But they have a machine city. We know that. We, I know. Hovercrafts, we know they built those. Like that's why they're flying them I'm, around. I'm not trying to backhand no, no, I'm, the I'm, first three movies, but this was a development that I love. It's yeah. a great development. It, but, instead of them just being bugs. Right. This is the whole thing. They have they have like personality. This is the whole thing. End of the Matrix Revolutions. This is what I was so worried about. Like, is he real? I think, you know, is, right. is, are we really gonna is Neo's sacrifice going to be... It, the first order problem, as I would call it, where it's like, right, where it's is it truly depressing like, that the thing just happened It's again? literally just rebels versus empire again. Their victory the was awakened. nothing. The right. cycle They repeats. blow up a fucking planet immediately. It's the problem know? with a lot of these legacy sequels is you I, undo whatever catharsis. In this yeah. movie, the stakes are really never... We have to stop the machines. Of course. Or not. we have to destroy. Well, I mean, we have to stop the Matrix. We have to stop the Matrix's uh, people. In fact, know. pointedly not the stakes. Pointedly, out of their no. way to say. We don't want to fucking get yes. involved with that again. Because what we learned has happened. So, yes, Neo is liberated. He's taken to this new city, Io. And he I meets Deborah. Naomi, who is now very old because 60 years have passed. And she's played by Jada Pinkett Smith. And there she is, yeah. right? And it's fine. It looks okay. Whatever. The makeup? Yeah, I don't know. I think it looks good. She looks okay. I think it looks good. I think yeah, it looks whatever. good. Sure. Um, and she tells him, like, look, post you, yes, there were the machines left. They stopped attacking us. And but then we realized that there was some kind of machine civil war. There was some internal conflict. The Oracle disappeared. The Matrix completely changed. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole mess that we are not that interested in because we've got our city here. We are all living in harmony, you know, man, machine program. We've got a cool bio sky. Everything that, like, changes and nothing changes. You died thinking you were going to radically change the firmament of everything forever. And what we've noted is here are the positive things that came out of your change. Here's yeah. how things retreated back. So we just sure. decided we'll just do this over here. We don't she's, have to bother ourselves with that. She's, I mean, obviously it seems the bugs is more the type of like, we should be, you know, yes. getting into the matrix and pulling people well, out. Because she's the new lead of a franchise. She isn't. Right, and on, she, she, she's she's looking at a new trilogy. Naobe's like, we went through all. this I already. did that shit. It's you know because the whole I did thing the is video the game. End, I did two movies. We shot them all at the same time. I'm exhausted. At the end of Revolutions, Neo's truce is not you will turn the Matrix on, but mm -hmm. it is anyone who doesn't want to be in the Matrix because some people just unconsciously don't. You got to give them the choice. Ra rather than we have to go fucking get them, mm -hmm. and it's a whole you know conflict. You just get them out. Yeah. 
And what this movie sort of addresses is what would that cause in the world of the machines? Mm -hmm. A power crisis. You're losing people. Yeah. So like that is why eventually it sounds like the architect has been defeated or supplanted or Mm -hmm. deleted or whatever by this new guy who's kind of like, you know, I know how to juice up the matrix even with less people. And it's by like, you know, one, having Neo and Trinity power it, but two, like having it be this like hyper emotional, aggressive nightmare kind of play. You know, like he talks about how like you guys are making more energy when you sleep just because you're so freaked out, you know, all that. Yeah. So, Right. Like, Which is like how Twitter now yes. uses an algorithm to you organize know. your feed burp, 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 to prioritize the posts that are getting most controversial. Right. And same with Facebook. Same with how, right, where it's like, well, there's the most discussion. And it's like, right. well, it's all fucking people yelling at each other. But that's like, they're all going crazy. What these artificial intelligence and programs like post- are designed to look for is like, it right. seems like there's some friction happening and here. It's post, right, and it's comments. posts. And then that, so that's why I can go on Twitter and be like, my dick is so big and everyone who doesn't agree with me is a Nazi. And Twitter's like very controversial take. Does right. everyone want to see it? You know, like rather than me being like, my dick's regular. And if you don't agree, I don't mind. Right. Twitter would be like, well, no one wants to see well, that. You, David, a sane person would leave that for the alt. But but the, the Matrix doesn't like the alt. It doesn't benefit from the alt. It, it wants, wants people fighting out in public you know, on Maine. Get the people going. Is that what Will Ferrell says? In that? Anyway, um, I mean, it's the same with all of the, you know, Instagram. It's they're all yes, they're they no human psychology. It's manipulating humans right. in this way that that I don't even think we can ever really probably fully understand the perspective of the AI. These programs, yes. right? Again, thinking in the way of matrix. Think important, about them as the people. Important thing as to things. underline is we've figured out a way to train AI to be able to recognize potential conflict. Yeah, that in and of itself is a mind fuck. Really? That a computer program Truly. can go like, hmm, this post will make people upset. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. Neo, of course, never, he knew in making that deal. Like, it's not like you're going to turn off the Matrix. I know right. you guys need it to live. You guys literally need, it makes your power. And your power is how you exist. But he also wants a... But I want, I don't want it to be a fucking war anymore. And, and it's, it's not. It's, it's a tidy end of third movie victory. In, in his mind. In he, his mind. I mean, like, that, everyone watching the movie my is point. like, wait, what did he achieve? Right, this is my point. So when he wakes up and he's like, I thought I left this place. Well, anyway. Balanced. I like that Bugs has to say to him, like, you did. no, it worked. It worked. And he's like, I don't think it worked. I never should have woken up. It's a fucking mess. Right. You still look good. It speaks to the depression. And it's it's sort of the wind rises thing of like, why am I bother making these planes if people are going to fucking. That was the other movie I kept on thinking about in the second half of this film is is the wind rises struggle of like, I I I work so much. I I care so much. I try to communicate this thing. And then people are going to use it in a way I can't control. Is it even fucking worth the effort? What were you going to say? Fuck. Wait. Um. There's all right, well, I'll say there is the yeah. crucial scene that I already referenced where Naobi presents him with silence, silence and he's like, Oh yeah, that is powerful. Uh and Naobi, I mean, and, my and can I say that is just good filmmaking. I agree. It's I Fucking think one roll. of the cornerstones of filmmaking that filmmakers too often today forget, and that I think franchise filmmaking with its massive amount of oversight will often smooth out, is like the most power you can have in your arsenal is um, restraint, removing elements strategically, you know? 
whether it's like you withhold something for a long period of time in the basic grammar of what you have at your disposal as a technical filmmaker, it's that simple where it's just like you don't realize that the movie's been inundating you with so much noise for an hour that the second it gives you silence, it feels like a hundred million dollar special effect in the way that totally, great filmmakers totally can use color, you know, right. to specifically trigger things without you really recognizing it. So, um, again, my first viewing, I'm like at this point now bummed because the hero basically is finding out that like, well, actually the world's kind of nuanced. It's not just good versus evil. And it's like, things are complicated and there's like actually kind of this like political sort of ecosystem. And, you know, like, it's like, I almost like kind of was like, but I just wanted the first matrix. Like, that's what I did. I was like bummed. I was like, Oh my God, really? Like, come on. Now it's getting more complicated. Do you and like, remember what it's you not this clean, just like basically what the new yeah, Star sure, Wars. Sure. Yeah. Give me the shot. Give like, me the shot. I haven't seen I a wanted, Star Wars movie. I, wanted, right. I said to Griffin, I was like, I kind of wanted steak. It took me. That was the line I was hoping you'd repeat. It ben took me, to me a second at the end of the viewing day, to actually start to be like, well, wait, actually, I do fucking like this. I wanted the steak. He kept on saying as we walked to the train station, I just wanted stuff. the steak. I, I don't know if that did. makes me basic. I, and I was like, Ben, but they're doing this and this. And he's like, I understand it, but I just, it would have been great to sit down in a theater and to see the Matrix and see people do kung fu and leather sure, and sure, be sure. badass. Right, 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 right. And it's like, I can understand everything she was trying to do, but it would have been nice to eat a steak right now. And it's the fucking cipher argument. But I don't even think I, I did it. it. I had to try. I had to really try. And yeah. it took every, it took unlocking it the second time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, there's this, you know, we we sort of skipped over, but there's the right, more, more Neo's sort of wake up moment post being unplugged is that the goes to the dojo with Morpheus, and you're like, okay, they're gonna do the fight again, right. and they don't. It's more Morpheus kind of showing off, and Neo being like, I don't want to fight anymore. Yeah. I already did that, and then his way of expressing himself, like martially now, is like a Hadouken, like it's just this yeah. sort of like. A primal scream thing where he just kind of like, you know, like that's right. all he can do now. Uh, Neo never uses is, a gun the entire movie. Doesn't use a gun. Another very deliberate. Doesn't. I mean, he has the one fight with Smith, but apart from that, yeah. it's not really. Uh, you know, no. he's not really doing kung fu anymore. He doesn't fly until the end of the movie. You know, he's not the, like, that joke of when he tries. Oh, to. So good. It's, it's it's just because the the jump and then falling right back down. Yeah, I mean, he's just, just he is just such a good physical. Actor. He is he is a good physical actor. Um, but uh, but but but, uh, you know, it gets to obviously you love the Matrix sequels. Mm. You have done a, a yeoman's job sure. converting us no, to the Matrix but you sequels guys don't even and recognizing like them, that much. them. We'll see what we see. We'll I, see. I rewatched recently, and I look, I don't love them as much as the first movie or you, but um, I don't love them as much as I love you is what I'm trying to say there uh, in that unclear sentence <laughs> That's structure. That's um, But, but I, I certainly, like, I like them a lot more than I used to. And sure. appreciate them fully and, and feel like I quote-unquote get them now. But it's one of these things I think this is important to bring up because it what is it? Gets so what, is it? what is it? What is it? This problem that we constantly have of uh, in culture, like fans feeling like, why didn't you give me the exact movie I want to see? Sure. Right. I'm not talking about this movie in particular, but a larger thing as like fan culture has become a bigger thing. And uh, I will not name him because I don't need to give power to it. But there's a, a bad YouTuber that I watch sometimes uh, just to make myself angry. Mm who talks about 
like quote unquote narcissistic filmmakers who get hired to make a new entry in a franchise and use it to say whatever they want to say or tell whatever story they want to tell rather than preserving the franchise and giving us what we've already seen before. And he says it's like a negative. Like, this is not your story. You shouldn't get to tell this. Give us the thing we already want. Don't change the recipe for the Big Mac. Give me another Big Mac. You're a narcissist if you're using it to say something else. Right. Matrix Resurrections is obviously the original person coming back to it. But when I look at, like, the Matrix subreddit, and by the way, I've seen people on the subreddit who dislike the movie who have done some of the most thoughtful, positive analysis of the film you that I've seen. You mean our subreddit or the Matrix subreddit? R slash Matrix. Oh, sure. The sure. Matrix. Okay. Yeah. There are people who are just like, what the fuck? She ruined the Matrix. And they also are sort of taking it as a personal affront. Like, it feels like the movie is mocking me for even wanting to see the Matrix. Right. Um, but there are also people who are like, look, I don't like it, but here's everything she's doing. And it's like incredible analysis I've read by people who are very generous with like, it's not for me, but I do think textually this film is very interesting. Um, but there is that balance, right? Of how much do you need to give people what they want? How much are they going to be upset if it's not the thing they have in their mind's eye versus challenging them with something new that's an expansion or different direction of or what have you. And an issue that the Matrix sequels found themselves in is that the end of the first movie, Neo is fucking Superman now, right? Sure. Yeah. Everyone yeah. watches that he's first all powerful. movie. Yeah, he and flies. the promise of it, you go like, oh, fuck. And then the sequels are, he can do anything. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the sequels, and in many ways, that's a little dramatically inert. Of course. He's and, unkillable. And Neo is, in so many ways, kind of passive and stoic and unknowable in Reloaded particular. I think Revolutions does a better job of humanizing him again. Yeah. Well, he's brought low. Right, exactly. But they have to spend a whole movie bringing him low and deflating him. And it's like the problem that people have with the Look, Star Wars sequels and Luke Skywalker, where it's like, if Luke is everything you wanted him to be in your mind's eye, then the movie has nowhere to go. Sure. All of this to say, it is funny that for so much of this film, mm -hmm. Neo's power is he just kind of holds his hand up and goes like, just stop. Well, this is what I'm trying to say. Like That's, now he can just. I, I know I gave a lot of wind up to it, but that was the point I wanted to make. Okay, but I do want to point out that yes. Matrix Reloaded, one of the great works of art of the 21st century, is about how I love you. when you become the fucking Messiah, yeah. when you become Luke Skywalker unlocked, yeah. that is just you know, and the you know, and every Messiah in history is just a way of con it's just a form of control. Of course, That's the whole point of the narrative. It's like. Neo is can now do anything and he's like I can do anything and he reaches the end and the guy's like yeah I wrote that you can right. do anything you can't do anything you're gonna do one thing which is do what you're supposed right. to do reload the matrix form right and of course the brilliance is that Neo I don't trust the, the mainstream media it's a form of control it's a lie instead I read everything on Facebook and I follow that to the letter and that's I'm a free thinker you know, it's like everything is a system of control, as you said. Yeah. People need structure and they need rules and they need control. So even if they reject the, the thing that's put upon them, they find some new structure to invest everything into. And I do think that like, yes, Reloaded, those action sequences, which are very good. Like one of the reasons I think the Burly Brawl is not as fucking awesome as mm -hmm. they thought it was going to be. Although I think it's good. I, I agree. But like when you watch Revisited... It has no ending. It, it, it's like... He just leaves. Rewatching like, the Revisit documentary reminded me how much for a year the hype was, you're not going to believe this fucking fight. If you thought bullet time was cool, this burly brawl thing is going to blow your fucking sure. mind. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fight, yes, it does deflate a little bit. And part of it is just like, well, I know he can do anything now. Right. 
So you can watch the coolest special effects and the most like complicated choreography. There's, there's, there's less of a, right, like tension. Yeah, yeah. And so in this movie, one of the reasons why you get the sense that like Lana's clearly not even prioritizing action sequences here. It's not even that they're not as good. It's that like, it's not the point. Is that anytime there could be a big action sequence, Neo kind of holds up his hand. It goes like, no. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Right. He's, he's, it's defensive. He's now I'm not even going to do the show of it anymore. Now, to get back to the plot, Naomi, you know, unf- I I think in the movie, it makes total sense that she is just like, I don't want you to go rescue Trinity. I don't want you to mess anything up. Everything is nice here. We're, we're, we're living in harmony. Like, she becomes kind of a scold, like... I think the movie is fine at this, like because I think you kind of know yeah. in her heart of hearts, like now she's, you know, part of her wants Neo to, you know, to do of the course. thing, right? But like, she, it's sort of Niobe's so cool. Yeah, Joe, my brother was saying he's just like it's sort of annoying that she's like the Harry Lennox, you know, in the sequels character of like you stay grounded, all of you, you know, space pilots, you know, you I, hovercraft. I, I have a comment in defense of that, and then a question. I think it's I mean, that I, I, think, it's I think you might find annoying. I feel like Naomi's kind of playing like the elder statesman, 87th term senator. Absolutely. She, who no, used to be a political thing. radical. And now she's, she's like, still can things just kind of, I, yeah, I Bugs support Bugs is like you, AOC. Yeah, and it's like, you, can you just calm down and stay quiet? She's not even being saying quiet, but certainly, yeah, just kind of like, it's better to not like fuck I'm a career up. politician right. now. I remember I used to be hungry and try to fuck shit up. Yeah. We don't need to fuck shit up anymore. Right? Yeah. Um, Here's my question for you. And I don't know if I have an answer, but it came What's the me. question? Do you think this movie would be better or worse if at this point, when they get to Io, yeah. and there was the elder statesman who was running the city, uh-huh. it was old Lawrence Fishburne? No, that'd be much worse. Because it would make no sense that he would never, ever say no to Neo. He'd be very pro Neo. Okay. Yeah, because like the whole Morpheus is like, whatever we, Neo yeah. wants to do. I right. am an accolade of Neo. Like, right. you know. Uh, whereas Naomi, as, as she says in the sequels and mm. as she says in this movie, she's like, I never totally believed in your whole deal. Yeah. You know, I was always skeptical. As as this movie says, like, post, and, you know, once the truce happens, Morpheus became the president because he was right. Like, right, you know, right. like he was. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, if it's Morpheus, he'd be like, Neo, it's so good to see you. And Neo would be like, I got to go get Trinity. He'd be like, I know you do. And I'll see you later. He Look, just would not be an obstacle. I love Jada Pinkett. I think she's a very underrated actor. We've called her out a lot on the show because we've had the good fortune of being able to cover a lot of movies she's good in. Because we want to be on the right table. We want to it's time that she bring us to the table. Yeah. But um, David's sitting at a brown table right I am. now. Um, Bent to the glass I mean, table. This is, this is where I, <laughs> I of. get sort of <laughs> excited by how thorny this text is in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. I understand every creative decision and I still walk away from it and I go, yeah, but fuck, I wish they figured out a way to get Hugo Weaving and Lawrence Fishburne in it. Like, there's this part of me that's still like, I just want to see my old friends. You just want to I see think Jonathan Gross' performance is great. I, think I great. like that they're breaking new ground, but part of me is just like, yeah, but what if it was Hugo Weaving? Remember when Hugo Weaving did the thing? I think the movie would work with that. I mean, Fishburne would be playing Morpheus and it would be instead this sort of weird performance of like, oh, he's doing sort of a Morpheus Smith at first. That's odd. And right. obviously he looks different. He's older. Yeah. He's, you know, um, I think he would fit into the movie just fine. Oh, this is what I was thinking though. Is like, could you do? Is there? A, I know what you're saying. To, no, the, the answer thing. to that is no. In my because what what I got excited and I couldn't crack it is: is there a good way to make this movie in which Yaya Abdul Mateen does play young program I, no, agent no, no. Morpheus, and there is some version? No, no, you can't do that. No, 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 no. 
I look. I, that's why I posed it as a question. It wasn't a pitch. It was a question. But could you have your cake and eat it too? They go. Isn't Spider Man kind of what that is? It's basically? so much more complicated than that. Yeah, we can't get into. All right, sorry, it's, sorry. You know, I won't even. I'm okay. So they go back to the Matrix. Yes. They, upon entering the Matrix, are greeted by Smith, mm-hmm. who is now liberated again mentally, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And basically has the take of like, look, I know you and I used to fight. I now recognize we're kind of just you know part of the same petri dish right. here. I kind of just need you to stay out of the matrix. I don't hate you. Right. Because like I don't even think about you, bro. I live in the matrix. I can't have you fucking up the matrix. Yes, I yes. would perhaps like, maybe I'll take it over. I hate the analyst. Right. That guy like locked me down. Right. And Neo is basically like, look, I don't want to fight you either. I'm here to get Trinity. You yeah. know, like, and he's like, yeah, but if you get Trinity, things aren't going to, well, so I guess we have to fight. And then of course there are also some exiles, some monster people. Yes. And there's our old pal, the Merovingian. So are these guys all supposed to be vampires? Whatever. Yeah, they're his crew. They're like okay. the remnants of his. They're like the sad right. remainder of his monster. As they are, they werewolves or they go. We well, obviously... they're supposed to be everything. Right? Okay. Frankenstein's or a couple Frankenstein's. Yeah, they, they have let themselves go, David. That's the whole point. It's but just... why? They're programmed. Well, but the Matrix, like the Merovingian, is from an old Matrix, right? right? That's the idea. Right. And he's found his way. He's established himself in the in the sequels. He's got his club, and he's. He's the you guy. Know, some, like, sometimes code gets dusty, Ben. But, uh-huh. the, but, the, but the Matrix has been rebooted <laughs> again. Yeah. And he has survived, but now, yeah, he's just like, you know, a hobo. Do you know what I viewed it as? When you're trying to transfer files from like a really old computer to a newer computer, and oh. you're like, it doesn't even understand. Griff, that's this. really good. That's yes. exactly what it is. He's, yes. He's your like weird when they app. made Mat- uh, Toy Story 3, they were like, well, we did all the work. We already built all these characters. And they were like, we cannot transfer the model of Woody into a present-day computer you know, is impossible. You have to rebuild it from scratch. Your apps, like some of your apps suddenly are sort of like, right. we're just, we, we don't exist anymore. Sorry, we don't work with this. No one's updating us anymore. Merovingian's on a floppy disk and he's showing up and he's like, free me from this floppy. But he's also like, eh, everything sucks now. You know, right. he's just there. Oh, he's, he's doing a monologue shit. right, yeah. about how Facebook is annoying right. and how culture is in the toilet. He's going full Fisher King. He's so good. It was so lovely what to see him. Year. I squealed with delight. What a good year for David, Lambert I don't Wilson. want you to spoil anything. Is there any way Lambert Wilson does not get a supporting actor to, nod from you? I, there, I don't know. I got to think about Between it. Between the two performances. I know. And being I should, so in your wheelhouse, I'm like. I mean, this is such a silly scene. It's so great. But I'm saying, look, you would nominate him for Benedetta. But, but, but this performance sort of kind of boosts right. him in the Burnthal conversation where you're like, he gave like three good performances. He did. He did. All right. Okay. I don't okay. know. Noted. I mean, I know someone done in this movie's on my ballot. That's for sure. Interesting. Um, but uh, love all that. Yeah. Uh, but again, the action is fine. This it's is just fine. Neo fight, which I actually think the action there is pretty solid. Yeah. It's just that it ends much like a lot of these fights with, with a shrug. Well, he just blasts him away because, like, yeah. you, you know, you can't kill Smith again. He's been right. killed. That's not going to work. You know, that's not a thing anymore. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Um, call back to the, you know, the franchise in general, really. It's just when they they go into the Matrix and they all look cool. Yeah, they've all got their And they DSI all have their, and... their, their, their outfits. Right. And they have that kind of just moment where you get to, like, take it in. Yeah. They look so fucking cool. They do look cool. I, I get again, so excited. You know, anytime Brian... they do it in any of the movies. But this one in particular is fucking good, man. What's the name of the actor from Sense8 who has the crazy hair braids and the tattoos? Uh, her name is... Uh, and The character name. I, uh, the character's name is Lexi. Okay, uh, right. She's played by 
Erendira Ibarra. Right, who is the uh, who's in Sensate. She's beard the, girlfriend of exactly. the gay actor. Right, and then Brian J. Smith plays uh, um, Berg, who is the sort of, he was the cop in Sensate, right. but he's the sort of like um, neo you know, right. He's like a big neo-dork. Right. And he's then you, you have... Max Rimmel? Max Rimmel, who I yeah. love, who of course has... Great a, penis. Wonderful penis. In Sensei. He's the German guy in was, Sensei. I think the first time we got written up in Podmass in yeah, the AV right. club, it was like the quote about it. like this actor, there's a thing about him that's really good, his penis. He's, he's and that re- was our quote of the week. He's a really good actor. Yeah. I really like Rex Rimmel. And I love seeing I like his look with the the, the blonde hair and this. Yeah. You know. And I love his penis. He's got a great penis. He's got a great dick. Um those are the main ones I'm right of the crew. I feel like oh, the, the the pilot get his name. Right. Uh, I think he might be in Sensei too. Anyway. I think I believe he is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there, I, I truly he's not took on this count. It's, it's six or seven Sensei actors right. in this overall. So yeah. So post that, is it? So you know, post the Smith fight. Mm-hmm. That's the it, it, he. They go find Trinity. Look, it is telling that this is the hardest section of the movie to recount because this quickly. is the section that is also the most action driven, which is a little muddier. The movie's been. But it's but also just kind of like yeah. It, it, yeah. it moves fairly quickly because then the next scene is him going to see Trinity in her bike shop. She's fucking right. in a fucking Def Leppard video practically with like sparks going and she's <laughs> yeah. let's also bending call over out. a bike. Part of the question's been when he wakes up, he's like, There was another pod right there. It's Trinity. It's Trinity. Like, Are we you gotta sure? go get he's her. Like, I know it, I feel it. And she needs to wake up. And they're like, What if she doesn't? And he's well, like, that's the she they look at her I and like, think, she's a blue pill. She doesn't right. want to. And he's like, Well, what about me? And they're How'd like, I read? You were like that too. So, right. It was yeah. a comfortable existence um but so when he goes to see her that's when the analyst shows up throws mm-hmm. on the bullet time filter essentially slows neo down slows everything down let's also acknowledge they have uh, the uh, two coffee dates right and then the second one she comes to him with the information of like so you're that game guy and i looked at the game a little bit game. i told my husband i thought it looked like me and he laughed and I wish I had kicked him across the room. Right. She's so fucking good in that She's scene. really great in that But scene. I like that. At first, you were like, well, yeah, of course you would look at the game and go, that person looks like me. This is creepy. But then when you get the reflection, you remember, like, she literally doesn't look like that at all. There's something triggering in her brain right. that looks like me. And to her husband, he's like, you have blonde you're hair. You're crazy. Right. But you're of course, like her this. husband There's is no also. There's no facial structure resemblance. Like but machine. we're seeing the version of her that does look like the her in the game. Um, I love this. Movie. I don't know if Tr- I assume Neo is seeing Trinity as sh- as she is too, not her Arslan. That's how I I saw sort of taking it. Obviously, they're Same. playing anyway. Um, but yeah, and which is why she feels comfortable saying that to him because he mm-hmm. recognizes, like, yes, you do look like the person mm-hmm. in the game. And but this is where the analyst sort of just explains everything we've been talking about: how this new Matrix is predicated on emotion, on stories, on like. You know, fiction over fact on desire and kicks fear. Neo into another yeah. disassociative episode where he's moving in slow motion. Right. And it's he's just, just clever, ex- reversible overstimulation. I like how it looks. I think it's really yeah. I like the weird juddery overstimulation of it. I like the way Pat- Neil Patrick Harris plays it. Once again, feels like an anxiety attack to me. Um, definitely being paralyzed. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Right. Um, and you know, and also I'm also just like freaking out on the lore. I'm just like so yes. happy that they're like, yes, they're he's the new architect, how this new matrix works, right? Where the architect right. went, how this guy is different. This guy to me is an evil Oracle. Like it's not so much that he's obviously he's the architect and that he's like the running the program, mm-hmm. but he's an evil Oracle in that. Like he was also designed to understand humans. Well, they also said there was no Oracle in this new Matrix. He's fulfilling both roles yeah, at the same he's time. Well, that's the, the difference. Gone, but like, right? Because Merv, the Merovingian was the f- previous my read, architect. My right. read, no, my read. You tweeted on the Mer- this recently. 
we can talk about this in the commentaries. When I read in the Merovingian is he is the Oracle of Matrix 2, the, the Oracle, Matrix. not the architect, sorry. I think he's the Oracle because I think that's why he's obsessed with getting the Oracle's eyes. But that's that's a different discussion. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, but like but like the Oracle's whole point in the Matrix movies is that she is a program who's designed to understand people right. and understand what motivates them, and that's how they create the Matrix is to right. serve that. And he is the same. He gets people, but he gets how to push their buttons, how to aggravate them, how to stir them up. Like, you know, so he's sort of like a nega oracle. He's like also, a, yeah. he's kind of a good therapist. Like, there was a version of me that was worried where I'm like, is she going to come in with some anti-therapy? Oh, like, yeah, right. Because yeah, right. he's the villain. And well, it's like, no, the point is his power is that he actually does understand people's right, psychology. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And he's not just lying to this it's, dude. It's so good that the villain of this movie is not another superpowered agent who you are going to have a fight with. Right. And it's more like the big test in this movie at the end is... Is a conversation. Is a conversation. Is that he needs to truly win Trinity over to waking up. Yeah. And the analyst is like, okay, yeah, if you can do that, what can I do? But also, if he can't do it, then Neo doesn't even want to He wants to blue pill. He wants to go back. No, better than nothing. Wouldn't you say this speech also, if you're reading between the lines, definitely is like, I think, a moment where people who didn't like this movie, right, are feeling attacked. Because he's like, kind of being like, you're a fucking idiot. I think this sure. is a, like not to intellectualize about, this, but like, I've, I've seen people, people say this directly, but it is like, this feels like this movie is calling me an idiot Yes, for wanting to see the movie I wanted to see. Right, right, right. So right, not right. only am I not getting that movie, but the movie's mocking me. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, when they read, which I think is a misread, the perception that she doesn't even want to be making this movie. Well, that I think is not true. Right. Right. Obviously, That's right. the thing I think is fundamentally mystery. But I understand being pissed off that the movie is both withholding from you what you want and seemingly mocking you for not. Ultimate troll, man. F- fucking made a movie, dude. Didn't even fucking want to do it, man. But like, I mean, <laughs> I'll say. You know, I do the, see people did saying you that. Like, like it? This whole movie's a Don't fucking worry about troll people. Well, let's move on. Let's move on from other people. Sorry. It's okay. No, it's fine. I just, but beyond the fact that we've Sorry, you started so to hear long. an echo. We were under a bridge. Mm. Oh, very good. <laughs> I will say, I watched this with my, with my wife last night. This final sequence where, yes, Neo makes the emotional appeal to Trinity. That connected with her. Okay. You know, that moment of like, you know, the cops are going to like take him in. Trinity says to Chad, like, I wish you'd stop fucking calling me that. You know, like all that. that I would imagine any time the two of them are on screen at the same time, that probably connected with Forky. Right. Because it's such a clear emotional in. But the... Uh, you know, sort of uh, heisty element of the final action sequence where it's like, okay, like yeah. Morpheus and Bugs are going to go to the pod and they're going to kind of switch Trinity out mm-hmm. surreptitiously by using Bug, you know, and Sati shows up, played by uh, Priyanka Chopra, oh, uh, you know, and is like, that. I'm Sati. Well, it's pretty brief. and But they have like a council Forky. of Elrond around like a name. fucking, uh, uh, what? what no, I, I said my wife's name. It's fine. Uh, you know, Forky's they have, they have just like, like, I don't know who this is. And they, I'm like, oh, it's Sati. From they the have prequels. a council of Elrond around like a wishing well in the middle of the woods. Yeah, well, you know. Right. Uh, Could but, you quickly surmise that? Because I'd like Sati to see, is, explain just kind of, though, what we learn in that moment. I, I wasn't 100% clear Sati, on how it connects. Sati is the daughter of, she's in the, the Matrix Revolution. She's the daughter of two programs that made a baby for no reason. It's a program a, that has no function. Right. A, a subplot. It's implied that she can control the weather, um, but it's a sub because once um, Smith can copies over her, he changes the weather and she makes a sunrise for Neo. But it's implied right. like the rainbows in the sky that. Are the analyst mocks 
Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's 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 a subplot in Revolutions that this the Oracle is kind of helping this strange new program that's sort of created out of love to survive, right? And uh, so now that's her grown up. Like so that's who she is now. She's sort of playing the role of the Oracle in this movie, the sort of helpful advisor, right. you know. Um, Which I look, she's an actor. I've had almost no opinions she's on charming. until this point. Yeah, I think she's good, but like I, I has never I like really jumped uh, off the white for tiger. how famous she is. Sure, yeah, she's very good in White Tiger. Right, but outside of that, never yeah, much of an impression right. on me. And I was sort of like, huh, that's an interesting casting choice. She's very in the pocket in this. She is really good very at open. the sort of Matrix, very like casually rolling off, mm-hmm. but but with the right level of pomp and circumstance. I mean, this is like dense fucking dialogue. It is. It is dense. It's a lot. And yeah. And so she, right, what she, she has explains a, a lot of her dad, who yeah. was a program, create you know, was helped helped create these like pods that Neo is in. So he felt great guilt, which over this resurrection you that, know, they that he used did not want. The love. Right. Okay. Well. So, but th- and this is a thing I don't think they're never. I'm, I'm gonna. You're gonna have an answer for. But she has a physical. She like is like a floating fucking manatee, robot manatee. No. That's sort of like that's like that machine. That that's a different. That's Ni- uh, Niobe's robot right. Friend. That it's machine is sort of a liaison, but it's projecting her. It does project. So her. what? All I'm saying is that her dad was a physical. No, he was a program. But then, how did he make the pod? The visual language of this is confusing. It, yeah, well, I, like, I, like in, in the sequence like, where they're unpassing. I, was, you're, so you're, was he a robot that had no, no? A he, he he programmed it. It's, it's a, don't worry about it. It's not about like little he did, hammer he does not nails. exist in a physical, tangible form in the real world. Okay, but like his programming, right? Then sent a sentinel out to fucking build the thing. If that makes right. sense, you know, he was he was and involved the in the invention of this because technology. you see robots building the things. It does. I had the exact same confusion point of like, okay. is that supposed to be what he looks like? Now, this is a question I heard people throw out. I don't know if you have an answer for this, David. Mm. Mm. Why has Sati aged? I, I don't know. Why, why is Neo only 20 years older when he's 60 years older? You know, I don't know. Because they rebuilt them so well. No, I think it's partly it's just like you kind of hit your age and then that's it. You hit grown uphood and then that's, that's the age you are. But I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't know. I just thought I mean, you throw that out because she's a program. Shouldn't she stay a little girl? No, but she doesn't want. I don't know. She can be whatever she wants. Okay, right? so, I don't know. They're so, like, um, his her father makes these pots. Sure, he felt great guilt about that. He no longer exists. He was like purged by the analyst or whatever. But you know, yes. deleted. That's why she, you know, wants to help. It, it, so that means though that also in the last version of the Matrix, they knew that they were going to reset it. Okay, so it does connect in, right? I don't know if they knew that. They just but, knew that they could build technology that could like bring humans back to life. Okay. They're just fucking doing shit over there. You know, we don't know what they're doing at the machine I, but cities. I also, they're advancing their technology yeah. of harnessing energy from humans. Yeah, sure. Right. right. Well, no, I like that it's like literally like the heart of the franchise is the thing that keeps this beating, right? Absolutely. This That's whole what I system. Love right. And it's like that thing It's of powered like, by nostalgia, baby. But right. you can't let them get too close because then they'll figure it out. So right. you gotta kind of just glance off each other. And that right. that's enough heat to keep everyone really right. excited. Right. I love that. And this is the thing I said to Ben, the reason I think this movie uh, and uh, emotionally works so much better than Reloaded and Revolutions for me is that she finally figured out a way to have her cake and eat it too and do another awakening story, which has just always been the most potent aspect of the Matrix. Absolutely. In a a universal way, right? Right. And that's the thing. So their awakening, I think, that works 
Yes. Forky was like so checked out about the sort of like, you know, all right, let's plug bugs in. And right. Plug her, you know, but I, but of I course, dig when you all get that. to Trini making the decision, I'm sure she was right back in it at that moment. That stuff's great. And then, of course, I think the final sequence is fairly effective because it's kind of creepy. Like the weird bot bomb thing of like, love that when the analyst is like, okay, I'm cooked. Trinity has woken up. There's also this very misogynistic streak. The analyst that also feels, mm-hmm. you know, metatextual, right? Like, yep. Uh, where he's just in- incredibly derisive of women. Well, um, there's the bug scene where she's talking about, I'm, I'm going to misquote this. Doesn't she have the thing where she's like, I understand the feeling of you do a thing and then you lose all control of it and everyone's going to misinterpret it. Hmm. I don't remember that. In the scene sure where she wakes right. up, you know, there's a scene where it almost feels like it is Lana saying, "Sure, right." This right. is how I process the guilt of people using Mis- misusing the right. Sure. Well, we'll right. address and, that in the commentary when it's happening. Thing. We'll get to it. But, but, but um, the analyst, right? Yeah, he he activates his final thing, which is basically just turn everyone, like turn on all the bots and have them just fucking suicide. That's oh, what right. I was going to say. Which We're using that. the language of suicide yeah, again, which yeah. is a big part of this film. But it is. And beyond that, so the suicide imagery is very potent, but, uh, you yeah. know, and then them sort of crashing then they have to jump. into code. But I'm saying it's and like they have to jump. the final challenge is people killing themselves and weaponizing their fallen but again, bodies to attack the, you. And the way around that is, can we go to a higher building and jump off of it? And of, but of course, the jump is crucial in the first movie again. You know, like that is the moment of awakening partly is the jump. But, um, but, but the other thing also, I just love the idea. You know, it's like being swarmed with that replies or whatever, you know, like yeah. just well, all yeah. these people, you know, like, like it's, swarming it's you. cool the all the new design I of love like, all this. and the explanation of the skins and it just feels so contemporary and makes sense really quickly yeah. i think it's great i you know the, again the action is samey in the way of like as you say neo's really just doing the one thing it's right just defensive he's just shielding trinity's driving a motorcycle but you know they're really on the run now this is maybe my favorite idea that this movie introduces to the lore and it's a basic one what's that the end of the first Matrix. Yeah. When Neo has died, after being told that he's not the one, he knows that in the back the entire time, Trinity says to his dead body, you have to be you have the to one. Because I'm, I'm falling in love with, I'm supposed to fall in love with the one and I'm in love with you. And right. he comes back to life. And even people who love the Gives Matrix. Gives him a kiss. That's the thing where some people will spotlight. is like, that's a little fucking corny. Sure. Very right? Corny. Very corny. But I think what this movie is recontextualizing is Neo was never the one because there is not a one. The power was in the two of them. Right. They're, they're, they're intrinsic. And I mean, I'm going to monologue on this. I've, I've seen people say, oh, this movie rewrites it and makes it so Trinity's the one now. And it's like, no, it's not. The whole they're, point they're, is they're two sides. the power comes from the two of them being together. Mm-hmm. Literally the power that runs this entire fucking city. It's, it's the Oracle's whole gambit is, is the, their union. It's not just right. liberating Neo. It's, it's the two of them together. He doesn't have we'll power without her and vice versa. Very much and the so. first movie, the first trilogy rather, prioritized showing off his awesome power. Well, he has the, right, he has these superpowers. He the, has the prime power. The visualization. So but that's around. part of why he doesn't do badass shit that much in this movie because you want in the final 20 minutes Trinity to fucking whip around on a motorcycle fly fly do the awesome shit that jump is done in real life right like they did it a million yes. times it's like this crazy wire it was one of the they pre-pandemic the things they shot when right. i think they had less restrictions on how they could film right and uh and the the visual is so funny and like maybe again people find that a bit of a sort of deflated balloon thing where it's like it's not like soaring it's that she's just hovering and he's yeah. like are you doing this like but right. i love that i love it and it's sort of it looks like the sims it's a little so, bit. It's, it's so, goofy. 
goofy in a good way. Yes, it's Looney Tunesy in a movie with a character named Bugs who says what's up. Well, and, and also, that is about Warner Brothers. And when they IP. attack the analyst, like you know, when they're like knocking his jaw yeah. off and shit like oh, that, like that's kind of cartoony too. You know, yes. I should mention right. We should mention like not just it's not just Mio and and Trini waking up. Smith shows up and attacks the analyst. And I've seen a lot of people being like, I don't get this. I don't get why Smith's involved. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, like just from a plot perspective. Mm-hmm. And it, it, to me, it's like, he hates the analyst, right? He, yeah. he is negative. Like, so like Neo is his ally in that moment. But he also just like, um, fuck, I had this. Uh, you know, he, he, but like he needs- Metaphorically, the analyst is almost like a film critic. Smith is like the studio head and mm. Neo and Trinity are the artists, right? Mm. Wow. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's and interesting. Tracking one Why? of several metaphors. Yeah, going well, on I just song. see. I always just took it as Smith was just he's like a virus, and virus. It's just destroy. That's part. That's of all it, he kind of sees. Offensive. And it's like maybe there's some revenge to it, but right. to me, it just feels like his his but he point is to do that. But he doesn't attack Neo. He is kind of just like, well, we're not allies anymore. But you know, be on your merry way. I'll I'll be I'll be seeing you, mm-hmm. Abyssinia. Yeah. Uh, and he vanishes. Um, I don't know. We'll talk about it more in the comment. I have to think about Smith more. I, I, I just, it, it, this final MPH monologue is just such good shit eating little torp bullshit. It is. He's great. At and it. it's, it is the arrogance of like a, a, a self important Reddit post or something, you right. know? Oh, there's like a, there's something about where he talks about the productivity. Yeah. The output. Right. And you understand like kind of just like, Again, the machine world right. and why this matrix, mm-hmm. why it's operational and yeah. like, you know, that there, he's producing enough energy and that, you know, that even it's like, there's like board meetings and stakeholders in the robot world. Like, I don't know, all that like stuff I really locked in on. Right. I guess, yeah, he just doesn't want the analysts to regain control. He's pro Neo in that way. He wants yeah. to destroy the analyst. So enemy of his enemy is a friend. And then, yeah, and then he's just sort of like, yeah, well, I'll see you. You know, I don't, I don't need to fight you anymore. Yeah, we already did that. Like, I know that's not, that's not going to work out for me. I just love how much of this movie is. We already did that. Yeah, in an era where fight. so many of these franchises are like, we obviously have to hit the six big beats. I mean, obviously they do fight in the movie. I'm not saying it completely ignores it, but we even, you know, like in the same way that Morpheus gives the speech and then goes, eh, blah blah blah. I don't know. I fuck this up. Like every mm-hmm. time they set up the thing off. that they're going to repeat, I they find also this movie deflate so it in a way thrilling. that I love. And but I, me I, too. I don't, I'm not getting off on the deflation in this way of like, ha, the movie is smart. Like, I find it very funny and self-aware and like cute and clever, but also like the, the emotion of the characters has never gone for me. So I'm never That's not invested. The thing. I don't think it sells out the integrity of the characters. And I think in fact, it is showing a humanity to them struggling to live up to these things. And like, once again, this movie ends with, you know, not... Ha ha, we win. Mm-hmm. You know, Matrix deleted. He, the analyst is still there. And yeah. Like, why are you still here? And he's like, look, I'm the only one who knows how this fucking place works. So they're not getting rid of me yet. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to do whatever we want. And if that messes with you, you know, sorry. Thanks for bringing us back, I guess. And they fly off in love. Lady pisses on stage singing, wake up. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I'm fucking cheering. Yeah. And then ben looks a- at me, says, I don't know what's going on. And then there's a post credit scene about cats. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we stayed in the theater, and then there was one couple in the back row, mm-hmm. and we, we like stand up after the cat thing, right? I was like, I, I'm wondering if there's anything. It's not like that's usually a Wachowski move, right? But I'm wondering if there's anything. We stay for that scene, 
I'm like giggling to myself. Mm-hmm. We get up, we turn around. There's the couple in the back row. There's that moment of kinship you sometimes have with another person in a movie theater, right? Yeah. And the guy goes, so we waited through all of that for, for that? And I just yelled back, worth it! <laughs> and we walked out of the theater. <laughs> I, yes, the, the cat thing is cute. I, I, I love that the end is just like, we are going to be free. Like, yeah. and, and just like, let us do our thing. Do our thing. Right. Let everyone do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. You know, he's like, wow, I've still got all these ideas. And they're or, like, okay, you know what? Well, I, let me put it better. Have any power over Let us. everyone do what makes them happy. Like that's, their, if you're not fucking with other people in their that's life, that's the thing. Right. I mean, that's, and that's just so much about that. the individualism of these films. And I, I think talking about identity and all these things but, uh, for a movie about that, a like trans the, woman, it's like, the triumph over online is like, he's like, well, I know how to push your buttons. And like, yeah, well, you don't have any power over us anymore. Right. You know, we're just going to do fly around. I just want to feel good about myself. And people, you know, I was talking to And be David with the Ehrlich, people I love. Who's very enthusiastic as we were yeah. leaving. And he was like, I would love to see another one. Like, I, I think that's such an interesting ending. Like, I think there's so much, you know, yeah. potential to. And I'm not sure I get that. I'm like, I don't really know where it could go from here. But also, I feel you know, both whatever. ways at the same time. If, and, right, and you know, if look, Lana Wachowski wants to make another one, which I feel like I'm getting the message that she doesn't right now. That's what it sounds M- like. James McTeague's the one who's been doing interviews, and he's kind of like, "There's no plans for like right. more." There was no pitch, right? And Warner Brothers has been like, "We'd love more Matrix," but like, I don't know if they still feel and, that and way even, after it's sort of like lukewarm at the but, box office. But I don't I've know. read quotes in the last 48 hours. Where they're like, this is the second biggest HBO Max thing we've had all year. It's done better than almost all the other blockbusters we put up there. Sure. We're very much in the business of doing more Matrix if she wants to. Right. Uh, I think they are not deterred by the box office performance at all. No, it's sort of meaningless to them. It's kind of meaningless to them. The only one that really mattered was Dune. And that was just because the overperformance was so pronounced with that one. But everything else is the weird legendary of that whole thing. Legendary pictures the entertainment company and the funding financing deal on that whatever um can i just say i i corny sap griffin Mm. shit and uh, i've been trying to figure out how to formulate this point for the last week and i don't know if i'm going to execute it right now yeah talking to kevin t porter the great kevin Mm -hmm. t porter friend of the show past and future guest one of the great people and uh was talking about just the the uh horrible depression i've been feeling and a lot of what I've been uh, struggling with recently is, and now it's a whole other thing now that there's a, a whole new surge and a new wave and a fear of, are we repeating ourselves? Is the cycle mm-hmm. going to go back to, you know, is the matrix resetting, right? Is that uh, I spent like 18 months in lockdown between uh, the worst of lockdown and uh, my health problems I had, mm-hmm. where I really was not just seeing people. Right. You know, I saw less than 10 people for like 18 months. I live alone. And uh, most of my socialization, as I said, was a form of performance. Sure. Which really Podcast, disconnected me the from show, the yeah. sense of self. Yeah. yeah. And you and I have talked about this a lot, but, uh, you know, I'm very happy and relieved when people say, like, I think you guys kept up the quality and the show is still good mm-hmm. during the worst of it. Because mm-hmm. you and I have talked about that it really felt for a lot of that, like we were doing an impression of ourselves. A little like, bit. Yeah. Y- right, you right, 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 right. said to me, not to take words out of your mouth, that like that was the moment where you realized that you're more of a performer than you thought you were because the show before had always been a conversation and behavioral. And you were aware of the fact that you had to turn something on right, to make the show feel like the way it used to, right? Right. And especially because I had no life outside of my performance and my work as it were, 
I a little bit. I feel like Tom Sanderson at the beginning of this movie. I was just like, if I'm left alone, I have no idea who the fuck I am anymore. Mm-hmm. I have too much time alone with my own head, questioning what feels wrong in the state of the world and whether any of this is fixable. And it's no longer that like sort of it, that matrixy. Everything feels wrong, and I don't understand how this could ever be good again. Okay. Kind yeah. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a little removed from self. And that I had a couple months of just kind of manic excitement post-surgery. Uh, lockdowns were easing up. Vaccinations were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm invincible. I can fucking do anything. Sure. And then the last handful of months have been like the whiplash a little bit of right. everything catching up to me and how much I haven't processed, right? Mm-hmm. And just saying to Kevin, I feel weird because I still feel like I'm doing an impression of myself most of the time. Okay. What and he Kevin- said to me, okay. Is there any time when you do feel like you're actually yourself again? And there were two answers that came to me. Mm-hmm. One was when I go to see a movie. You love to see the movies. You as odd to go as it to is, the cinema. most people don't think of it as a social act in nope. that kind of way. Nope. When I'm able to sit there, full range of vision, obscure my own thoughts, hyper-focus on someone else's life, fictional, I feel normal again. I'm outside sure. of my own brain. Right. Right. And it's the behavior I didn't have in the worst of this, where so many things feel tainted by the pandemic because I had to do them so many times during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, not the pandemic's over. And the second thing I said was doing the fucking podcast in person. Right. Right. It, it really is. And when we have to go back and do Zoom episodes now and increase yeah, we'll, we'll probably we'll, do some more. We'll do some. I do some feel guests that none, same yeah. anxiety. And when people like uh, have complaints about things that happen in episodes, which are valid, I'm like, yeah, I know. I agree. I hate myself too. I can't. No, I'm fucking struggling hate to do this. But when we do an episode in person, I feel like a fucking human being again. And it doesn't feel like a performance. And I did think about the like, the the whole central thing in this movie of the charge of, of Trinity and Neo being in the same space. Both the right. pods being in uh, close proximity to each other and also needing to find each other within the simulation. And it is this like, Wachowski thing of love conquers all you know that their movies have increasingly become about but it also is like and to view this as a movie that was brainstormed out of grief right grieving for yeah. lost loved ones yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that then is interrupted by a pandemic when everyone's separated true and I'm sure the movie gets reconceptualized in her head even if not rewritten the meaning the thoughts the feelings behind things get changed when you come back to it nine months later and you're making this movie in an uncertain world. Mm-hmm. The idea, especially in a franchise that is all about us living these digital existences, this is what fucking matters. And I'm gesturing to She's gesturing sitting here to ben in a room and I. With, the, with the two of you guys. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the whole fucking thing that matters to me, and it's the thing that, despite the fact that this conversation is being recorded and on. <laughs> seems like a performance versus the conversations I have in private. This this is the thing, this is the one social, interpersonal thing post-pandemic when I feel a complete, restored sense of self. We will that. stop recording, I'll go out, I'll wander the streets, I'll be like, who the fuck am I again? I'm ah, trying to get on. it back. I'm trying yeah, to get it back. There. I don't know. I remain back. very confused about everything. Mm. But, uh, all of that hit me hard. And it did just mm. underline this thing for me that I had just verbalized for the first time like two days earlier of like, to Kevin, right? this yeah. is when I feel it's Trinity and Neil shaking hands in the coffee shop and it's like, huh, this is something. What do you think, Ben? Final thoughts. Whatever that is for whoever <laughs> you are in your life. I was, I was See gonna, that subtle sort of hint? 
I'm throwing out there. How long have we been going? There's a thing David does when I start going on like an emotional tangent over analyzing my own life about something where I can see him being like, good, okay, I have 15 minutes to work on taxes. <laughs> it's not, it's more, I haven't eaten food in very long time. Me neither. I forgot to get a fucking bagel today. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really struggling with that. But, uh, sure. okay, but, but I'll be quick. Okay. Something that I feel like we didn't touch upon that I, I want to mention and mm. it ties into my final thoughts. Mm. is the strawberry production of oh. vegetation. It's a big, big thing Niobe is sort of pointing out in, in IO. Like, we're fucking growing shit here. Right. How do we and, know that Tasty Weed is Tasty Weed? The program might have got it fucked up. What Tasty Weed used to taste like 500 years ago. Right. And Bugs, at one point, mm. is like, fuck your sh- fucking strawberries, dude. Yeah. Like, hero time, right? Right. right. And so the first time I saw the movie, I was like, yeah, Bugs, you're fucking right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the second time, it was that was like, I feel like this moment that really, I think, encapsulated um, me be, being able to actually really enjoy this movie. Yeah. And that it's, this movie is going to age well. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie is very thinking ahead, big picture. I agree. Kiana's and, thing, when, and I when really, she showed him the movie for the first time, was he apparently said, 20 years ago, you predicted the next 20 years. And watching this movie, I feel like you are predicting what the next 20 years from here on out are oh, going to yeah. be. Oh, yeah. So, it's so, like, uh, forward-thinking. And, um, and I think, yeah, like, having your character be more interested in making food right? And having comforts. And then also, you know, think about the first movie of how the character betrays them because he wants those comforts. Right. Sure. Like it is kind life. of, right. it's this very simple kind of like, but these things uh, aren't binary anymore. Line. Yeah. And yeah. also, strawberries fucking rule. Like that's what we fight for. You should be able to enjoy have the best things in life. And cookie, life isn't you know? fucking, we're all heroes and villains. Like, right. And it's like, sometimes things are really simple and also sometimes things are super nuanced and, and it isn't just the fucking myth, this mythology. Well, the first and this Matrix is journey. so Campbellian and it, it's influenced the following two decades with so many movies being so burdened with this one narrative and so on being all conquering. And it's all these things that I think she looks at not just sociologically the way people misinterpret the Matrix, but the way other filmmakers have ripped it off, focusing on the wrong elements and being like, it's not the one, it's two. Right. It's not us versus them. Yeah. There's crossover. The Absolutely. F- it, it is, it makes sense to want to eat the fucking steak. It does. All these things are like these lines are blurred. I don't want these things to be reduced. I don't know. I think it's really good. But it's movie. a really, really special, like it's a really special movie. film. And um uh yeah, I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. Great. Let's play the box office game. Christmas did, did Eve. Did you want to say did you want to find uh have do you want to do a twenty minute? No. Did you want to no. like uh did no. you want to say this movie? Thumbs up? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Box office game, well, number one, number Forgot one. Forgot to mention that when they're in the real world, the programs become ball bearings, which I love. I said that. I said that. I said ball bearings. Okay, they're cool. Check the record. I, I, I shouted out the ball bearings. But it's I fine that, that the second half of the movie, Morpheus is like, yeah, don't really worry about me. I'm just going to walk around as a naked ball bearing man. And yeah, I mean, he has less to do in the second, which is probably why I'm all, which is one reason I'm less frustrated by the lack of Fishburne because, you know. Morpheus is not. He's he's the catalyst. Look, he's I'm not, not fresher by lack of fish burn. I just always. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Would take love a, to see him. A helping of fish. Number one at the box office on Christmas Eve, 2021, was a uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Yep, making 84 million dollars in its second weekend, and that's just the weekend. Obviously, 
all these days are days off in a way, so it's right. sort of a weird weekend. But yeah, we both saw it. You know, it's enjoyable. Uh, I don't Look, know. it's kind of <laughs> it is in so many ways the opposite of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I also think it is the version of that that at least is functional and entertaining. It's very, it's very watchable. I think I, it's, I had a good it's time watching it. one of the sweatiest movies I've ever seen story wise. The, the the way they have to twist themselves into knots to pull off all the things they want to do. Yeah. But look, it at least is basically effective as entertainment. Hugely effective. I think it's hugely effective. I get it. I get it. Here's the thing I'm going to say very quickly, walk, talking around a spoiler. Yeah. I think it is very interesting that there is a character in that movie who is able to accomplish things that uh, superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe have spent entire films learning how to do. Okay. And he becomes as good at that guy pretty much at doing them almost immediately. And okay. no one has accused him of being a Mary Sue. Uh, that's a fair point. Yes. Right? Yeah, well. I've not heard one person say that. I just want to throw that out. Okay. Um, I speak obliquely, but if you've seen the film, I think you know what I'm talking sure. about. Sure. Well, it's one of the film's many sweaty story cutting corner things, but sure. whatever. Number two at the box office. Number two at the box office is Sing 2, which yeah. I think people looked at as some sort of like, fuck, Matrix bombs so hard, Sing 2 beat it. Hey, Sing 1 was so goddamn huge. Yeah. People forget it was fucking humongous. I mean, 270 domestic. Sure. Sing. It, la, la, la. Huge. Also, Sing 2, not on Peacock, right? No. So pure theatrical release. Of, of course. course it's going to do Yeah, no. Sing 2's doing it's great. It's a family movie. Bono's in it, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. Matrix uh, clashes with uh, Spider-Man in terms of audience. Sing 2's got its own lane. I have no idea how the Matrix is doing. I, I don't I think, don't either. Yeah. I don't I'm know. just saying, I don't think it's Sing doing... 2 beating Matrix at the box office is reflective of nothing. That's not embarrassing. But Number I, 3 is the My movie. whole thing is like, I don't... The whole thing with box office, not, nothing is embarrassing right now. Who cares? Movies are doing well, badly. I'm excited the West Side Story is finally holding, but obviously it's mm. not making much money. Yeah. It jumped week to week this week. It's really? Going up. Yeah. Um, which is which is interesting. And like obviously the next week is sort of interesting at the box office, but there's also a pandemic and there's one demographic going to theaters more than others and blah, blah, blah. I agree with you on all of this and I view everything in that way. Like an overperformance is exciting, but an underperformance isn't really indicative of anything. Yeah. My fear as always is the industry is incredibly reactionary and scared and I worry about them panicking and yeah, making they, rash decisions. But they're also they're also always behind. You have to remember yeah. Warner Brothers already committed to the next year being theater only because everyone got mad at them about the last thing and so we'll see how next year but now goes. it's 45 days 45 everything days will is go fine. on HBO Max. Yeah. I agree 45 days that's what it should be that's what it should be it, that's what's going to just be from now on is just 100%. after 45 days Make something your money. is free quote unquote on a streaming yeah. site these fucking you know fourth at the box office is a prequel fourth at the box office is a prequel New this is called The King's, King's Man. Man haven't seen it neither have I uh, some people like it others yeah. don't <laughs> <laughs> the most divisive movie of the year. Some people like it. Others do not. Uh, a true just, I don't know, whatever. Something we got to put it out. Please just Kingsman. Anyone? Anyone? They no? quietly sat on the shelf for like as long as New Mutants, but no one was talking about it because no one gave a shit. Number five of the box office. It's an inspirational true story drama. It's called about a quarterback. American underdog. blank uh, an underdog story. American underdog. The Kurt Warner story. Okay. Yeah. I Zachary Levi is Kurt Warner. LA Rams quarterback, or maybe St. Louis Rams back then. I can't remember. Inspirational, faith based, got an A plus cinema score. Matrix got a B minus. Yeah. Uh, West Side Story is number six. A Journal for Jordan. 
Number seven. Talk about a movie that doesn't exist. Crazy. What AV Club would call a future film that time forgot. Yeah. Uh, Licorice Pizza uh, expanding slowly to uh, 700-something screens, doing very well. Continue to have very normal conversations about. Uh, Encanto, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, which seems to be topping out in 120. Well, it's still making money. And look, talk about 45 days. That movie came out mid-November. It will be on digital for rental in three days. Yep. Can't wait to see it. Nightmare Alley. Busting's going to make you feel really bad, man. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare is, Alley, a film I'm confounded by. Yeah, we'll do Del Toro someday. That's right. Yeah, I guess we got to wait until he makes another good movie. Uh, and then, uh, well, and then you got Gucci still chugging over, chugging its way to $550 million. One of the few box office performances that I find a little bit encouraging because it's actually just a star driven drama. Doing well. Get some buzz. Young people want to see it. Yeah. Um, and that's the box office. This has been The Matrix. How long is our running time, Ben Hosley? Well, with ads, I think this might be... There's only two ads this week. Oh, interesting. But well, they're each going to be half an hour. No, we no. already recorded them. They're short. No, they're so really then long. I'll say that I'm going to guess that this is about... Three hours and 20 minutes. Great. So people will be happy with that, right? They'll be thrilled. Look, we're going to do another episode on The Matrix Resurrections in a few months. We're going to do Patreon. more hours in The Matrix. So much more Matrix Between March chat. and April. I'll get very nerdy about it, I promise. I think we have done this film justice artistically. I do too. I think this is what people want out of this episode. And, and if I it think- wasn't, you know what? I'm sorry. David is sipping water. an empty glass of water. Mm-hmm. It's fully empty. There's not even a drop in there. He tried to see if he tilted it back and forth. Maybe there was one final drop no, he could no, use to satiate his there. thirst. And it's making him even angrier because now he's thirsty on top of hungry. I'm, th- and I'm, I'm still hungry. talking. Well, he wants I gotta to pee. He's I gotta closed the laptop. David has closed the la- A thing that almost oh, and never now he's, happened. Okay, he's David unplugged. walks down the street with an open laptop holding it out. I do not. One arm. I do not. The laptop is never closed. Unlike the balcony. All right. Well, then we really should wrap things up. So then quickly, I'll just say for uh, any of those uh, fans out there who may be mm-hmm. interested in hearing our Marvel commentary series that we started oh, out with the Patreon yeah. uh, back in 2019, we will start uh, throughout this year making those available on the day they originally were published. So right. that means we will be beginning with Iron, Iron Man. Man. Right. So for those who don't know, on Patreon, we release new episodes on the 1st, the 11th, and the 21st. And starting this year, there will be a new episode on the 1st, 11th, and 21st, but also on patreon.com slash blank check. If you go there, we will be making public the link for whatever episode came out on that date exactly three years earlier. And that's going to be our model going forward. So we're we're releasing uh, episodes from behind the paywall after uh, three years. Yeah, they're Uh, fun Marvel commentary episodes. You can watch along at home. Ghostbusters on Patreon right Mm -hmm. now, starting now. And uh, we got a mailbag episode on January 11th. That's right. And then in February and March, we're going to be doing uh, episodes on Top of the Lake. I know we said we never do TV again, but we're in line. Yep. Um, And then, uh, yeah, as we said, Matrix commentary is coming up after that. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Oh, yeah. Big, big new year for Blank Check. Can't think of a better way to start it out. People were really doing the goodbye, and then you stopped. Keep keep going. I want to tell you a thing that I've been thinking about recently. Oh no, gotta keep going. Um, The goodbye. No, I think David, you saying people will be happy with this episode. I think the fact that for the first time in a year we made them wait more than seven days. Sure. Yeah. For any episode, let alone an episode Mm -hmm. on a movie that is so tied into our history, and that 
everyone is talking about. I hope people are satisfied by it. And if not, we'll talk about it for another two and a half hours. Yeah, exactly. Soon. Right. Um, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe and go to patreon.com slash blank check for all the stuff I mentioned. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our art work, Lee Montgomery and the Great American Novel for their theme song. Uh, you can listen to their new album, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Online. A way to describe Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. Definitely. Wherever albums are found, uh, go to our Shopify page for uh, merch. Uh, Coming come soon, we're, we've priced the previous topical shirts, Talking the Walk 2020 and the fifth anniversary shirt. We priced them to move. They're on deep discount because we've got to get through that inventory, but also coming soon. Can I say it here? Our commemorative 2021 item for Talking the Walk is not a shirt. It is, in fact, a spatula that we are naming the Spreadmaster. It is a blank check-themed spatula. That's right. I'm the Spreadmaster. And, but also, this is the Spreadmaster. It's a blank check, purple Spreadmaster yes. spatula. Yes. Coming soon, along with Chipcoin. That's right. And other stupid shit we're going to make, because I'm a dog. That's right. Ben's doing stuff, too. Merchandise Spotlight. They didn't right. make toys for this movie. It's insane. I fucking hate it. Why can't I buy the robots? All right, David, you should go pee. I gotta pee. I gotta yeah, pee. no, it's Keep okay. Talking. And as always, why haven't they made merchandise? I'm going to harp on this while David's peeing. Uh, Griff, well, because the movie is examining the toxic parts of this um, business. I understand. And the opening the of the toys. movie where Tom Anderson's in an office surrounded by the fucking tchotchkes right, right. that I buy is supposed to be the unfulfilling part of his life. Absolutely. But I also look at that scene and I go, well, yeah, you got the McFarlane toys trendy figure right there in the Morpheus. Why aren't you giving me new versions of McFarlane still in business? He could just do it again. Mm. And they have a new articulation system because back then they were pretty much just doing statues and nerd hummels as people like to call them colloquially. And now digital sculpting advancements, four films, expanded palette. I want a Bugs. I'd like a Sabebe. Illuminate. Octocles. Yeah. Well, um... Old Niobe. If you wish really hard... Maybe it'll come true. Throwing fits Morpheus. Yeah. I just I, I just don't see this um happening, unfortunately. But maybe I'm wrong. I, just, I hope it does. I, I just it just this doesn't strike me as the movie for the kiddies uh, who are then gonna want to get toys. And I'm talking about a collector audience here, an adult collector audience. McFarland toys, it's an attitude. Oh, okay. Well, I also now have to leave. <laughs> ben is leaving <laughs> my his own apartment. Own apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Left here ranting about fucking baby twice.